the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. Wow, do I have another electric vehicle story to tell you now what happened (laughs) okay so is it safe to say at this point given current technology and you're you being the technology guy you haven't had the best of luck with electric vehicles no and there's probably a lot of people that don't know the first story so i should probably give a recap of that one first right yes. yes quickly recap so what was this four months ago i'm in vegas decide I'm going to get rent an electric vehicle. Purposefully rented an electric vehicle. I had Check that sucker out. Had a an extra day at the end of the trip that I didn't have much scheduled for, so I figured if I ran into some challenges. Good thing you had that day. Boy, I get <laughs> <laughs> as you know it started the day before, tried to charge the vehicle and uh the first attempt on a Friday evening did not go well. Spent Two and a half hours, if I remember right, at an Electrify America station and could never get the thing to charge. And I had a Volkswagen Polestar, which I love the vehicle, by the way. So I haven't had an electric vehicle that I didn't like to this point. Some are better than others, but they're all speedy and and I love all the tech inside of them, right? It's the it's just the charging part. So anyway, the next day. I went over, this is on a Saturday now. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to a better place. Uh, and then I realized that, you know, they have four charging stations and, and, uh, in this area around a Sam's club. And I realized as I'm parking the car, like a couple rows back, that all the vehicles around the charging stations were electric vehicles waiting to get charged. Why didn't you just go to the mall? This was kind of at the mall. What do you What do you mean by go to the mall? Well, big malls have parking structures. In those parking structures, the prime spots are electric charging spots. They're all taken. In the whole mall. I don't even know how to explain this to you. There's 38 charging stations in all of Vegas. That's it? Well, there's, there's 40 Tesla stations around the link. And then there's this spittering of four here, six here, two here. It's just, and, and they're different companies. So, so it's challenging at to say the, to say the least. And on a weekend, when you have half of California that have come to Vegas with their electric cars, Vegas can't handle it. They just cannot handle so the what's going on in there. Not, there. not for what's going on in Vegas right now because the California mandate of electric vehicles is impacting the places around California because the only way the people from California can travel is by electric car. So if they're going to take the electric car to Vegas, good luck. And now they're limited on where they can go. Trying to find a charging station on a Sunday in Vegas. That is just like, don't even think about it. If you live there or if you're working there, Sunday is just, don't even think about it. Please have your car charged before or after that because the lines are incredible. 
gas stations can handle that. I mean, you can wait five or 10 minutes in line and, right. and fuel up, right? When your car takes 30 to 60 minutes to, to charge, which most of them do, I mean, it creates lines and there's, and there's no pecking order. And this is the thing, you what? know, no church rules. There's who knows who's next. Everybody takes your turn. It's church rules. How do you, how do you know this? How do you know who's next? Was when there a line? There's no line. You've seen these charging stations. Wow. It's not like it's a gas station line. They're at the end of a parking lot. And then there's like parking around them. And that parking isn't designated just for EVs. It's parking for everybody. So who knows who's next? There's no number taking thing or anything like that. Now, I think the one app that I looked at this last weekend um, was there was a reservation scenario on there. So that might help a little bit because you have to use the app to charge. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. So that was my first experience about six hours into this to charge my car. Cause you were just trying to return it to the. Well, and the thing is, is that so her rental place. Yeah. The car rental place. So I'll, I'll, I'll just throw names out here because I think they're all about the same, but I, I rent from Hertz most of the time. And uh, ouch. Only because they have 24-hour service in Vegas, and sometimes I end up having to come in early or late, and they're the only one that has 24-hour service. Maybe that's changed recently, but but uh, anyway, yeah. So it's Hertz, of course, is a little little more expensive than most. I used to be with Thrifty, but uh, again, they close at midnight, and sometimes the flights that coming out of North Dakota here are get in there after midnight a lot flight. of times, right? So anyway, so I. Uh, um, Go through all this, return the car, and I'm pretty, I'm like, I'm not going to do this again. Well, for whatever reason. You did it again. I did it again. I, I, I thought it over after all of this, and I said, all right, I must have had the worst possible experience charging an electric car. So like a restaurant, Re new restaurant opens up, you're there the first day, you sometimes the service. Don't go to the first service, day. Yeah, day. you're right. But the service can be a little iffy That's and whatever. soft openings. That's correct. So I th I just thought the same thing. I'm like, all right, I maybe I'm not giving this enough of a chance. So I rent another car, and this one now, this was the uh, Kia EV6. It's like a, and I think I have the model number right. It's like a crossover SUV. Mm -hmm. Looks like a, I mean, it's like a station wagon. A little bit more headroom, a little bigger, right? Great car. This car rocks. I'm just telling you right now, that car is amazing. And uh, you, you, you know what you get when it's not charged? Nowhere. A rock. It's a big paperweight. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm four days into this. I have a meeting over in Pahrump. Now, oh. Pahrump is like 60 miles away from Vegas. And I only have like a half a charge. Okay, and now you got me thinking of that line from Blazing Saddles with Mel Brooks. It's exactly right. So I have this meeting and I have to get this car charged because there's no charging stations in Pahrump. Somebody that I know told me that if you're going to Pahrump, make sure your car is totally charged because you need to have enough to get back. Right. There's no there's no fueling. So. All right. So I, I start going through the process of getting Unless you call the charge. AAA guy that shows up with the diesel generator on the back of a truck. It's we'll get to that in a yeah, second. Okay. Right. But you're right about that. It's interesting. So anyway, I go to the first place to charge the car and there's I wait for like an hour. 
or my turn. So what do you do for an hour? Well, well, you're busy with emails. So, I mean, I can do that, but it is frustrating. And, but and, the average person, what do you do for an hour? Well, and you have, the thing you have to realize is that, okay, you're going to sit in your car, right? It's 110 degrees outside. Right. So, and in order to keep the car cool, you need to... Have it running. And to have it running, you're consuming... Electricity. I'm at 28%. Okay. How long can I go for this, right? See, I'm thinking big picture, though, because the average... In, it's becoming the new normal, especially for like Californians where there's oh, yeah. a mandate and things yeah. like that. What do you do with all that unproductive time? It's a good question. In your vehicle. Oh, it would, it would drive me crazy. Or you're sitting there using more electricity because you have to keep the car running because it's if 110 degrees out. If you're waiting. Now, if you yeah. have it plugged in, they're, they're smart about that, and there's coffee shops and whatever to go and do that. And I, I, I'm okay with that. I mean, if I can park the car, charge it, and go to the coffee shop next door... Perfect. This is this is my kind of lifestyle. But getting charged in the first place is the issue. That's the issue, right? So I wait an hour. I I pull up to this thing, and it's a it's a Kia. Am I saying that right? It's a Kia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And anyway, um, South Korean. They have two. There's there's six charging stations at this place. One of them is a Chad, and this is the adapter type, like a Chad. E-M-O, C-H-A-D-E-M-O. Wasn't familiar with this adapter. That one doesn't fit. Aren't they supposed to be all universal now or getting there or? Getting there, but they're not yet. But they were having that conversation about getting there when there was two or three different brands. There are six N's right now. Six, just so you know. And uh, so then that one didn't work and the other one's out of order. (laughs) <laughs> imagine my I, I now i i am actually at the time i'm supposed to be meeting these people in Pahrump who have traveled from california now to meet me there right i'm already i am late i i no matter if i left right now i'm an hour late so i'm already late and i'm still at now 27 percent, you know or 26 percent, or whatever Technology. and i gotta go find another charging station so I go find another charging station, and I plug it in, and it says it's going to be about 60 minutes. So I, I, you know, I plug it in, get it going. I call them and say, all right, I'm going to be two hours from now because it's going to take an hour to charge my car. I can't just fill it up in five minutes and drive out there. i got to wait an hour because i got to have a full charge to get there, and then it's going to take an hour for me to drive there, right? So I go out. You know what I would have done? Oh, you're gonna go up. Oh, go ahead. Honda generator in the back, <laughs> crack the window. But Throw it, the exhaust do, out. it doesn't. It doesn't produce quick enough electricity to keep up with you driving. Is a problem with a generator. Yeah, but it would have started. I mean, I could have charged it. Got you over there, and then the little generator would have charged waited, while you were having yeah, your meeting. Yeah, I suppose, and waited over. Got you and, back because if you plug it into a regular outlet, it takes sometimes four or five days to charge that. Days. Yeah. So anyway. I uh, um, go and have coffee. I call them, go and have coffee. And again, when I left, it was said it would be about 60 minutes. So now it's 65 minutes. I I leave the coffee shop. I walk over there. Because if you go over, they start charging you $3 for every 10 minutes that it sits there while Whoa. it's not charging, right? So and, I, and you, leave, you put your phone number in because it's supposed to text you when it's close to being done. I don't have the text yet. 
Did I not put the phone number in right? I'm thinking all this stuff through. Like maybe I did something wrong here, but it's got to be close to being charged. I walk up to it. 210 minutes left to charge the car. What? So I went from 60. I'm there over an hour. I'm now at 210 minutes to charge the car. What am I supposed to do here? Rent a different car. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I am beyond well, livid. How right important now. is your meeting? Oh, it's very important. Crazy important. And I'm delayed because of an electric vehicle that I cannot get charged. The Tech Ranch. Divor- get back to discovering the latest in technology with the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. And before I forget, um, and I know you know Dennis well, too, Dennis Lindahl, uh, Big tip of the hat to Dennis. Have you heard the how well drone camp for kids went? No, I didn't. Oh, yeah. Off the hook successful this year. Well, it's been growing every year. It's been year. growing. Um, I, I had a talk with Dennis. Uh, they had a couple of additional um, speakers come in uh, from a couple different firms. I guess the kids just ate this up this year. So it was very, very successful. Congratulations to Tioga, Dennis Lindahl. I mean, they do a great job up there. See, I thought so. you were going to say Dennis sent you a drone with uh, some extra batteries so, so to that, charge up your vehicle. It's funny that you bring that or, up. Or maybe a drone could send you a five-gallon can of gas if you have a real vehicle. He suggested that he should do that, actually. <laughs> so that's funny. That is funny. All right. So I'm late to the meeting, and I'm at... Now I'm at like 26% or whatever. And it's getting to the point now, right, that I am... Wait a minute, you were at 26%. Was that 28 and I used a couple up. Oh, that's right. So I got I got a little bit of charge. I think so I it's was, on for an hour. How, and I, I was up to like 36 or 37%. Ooh. I got that much in an, in an hour, right? That's right. So I got a little better, uh, but not even close. And I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what am I supposed to do here? I am... I can't... I cannot sit here all day... And charge his car up. Rent another vehicle. So, uh, but I'm 14 miles the other way to to the car rental place. So this is what I do. Uh, You're absolutely right. I am a preferred member at Hertz. I rent 200 days a year. I mean, I I usually can just walk in and pick a car out that I want, right? So, So I go there. I drive the car over there. I go into the thing. I said, I just want to exchange the car for a gas-powered car. I cannot get this car charged up. And the guy goes, is there something wrong with the car? I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know. know. It's just saying that it's going to take hours and hours. I'm on a fast charger, the fastest, because this thing will handle the fastest charging that you can put to this thing. It's not charging, uh, at least not fast. And uh, anyway, he goes, well, I don't know if we have any gas-powered cars. What? I'm like, I, I'm just like you're looking at me right now. I have that look in my eye. Like, you're kidding me. Okay. So I'm th- now, I'm now two and a half hours late for my meeting. I got an hour to drive. This is These an important people, meeting, right? Very, very important okay. meeting. Like, U- I'm looking like a stupid idiot right Uber, now. Uber, Lyft. So I'm thinking to myself, what I can, what can I do? So I, I walk out to the rental. So this is the guy checking the car in. I go to the rental thing. I got to wait in line for a couple of minutes, even though I'm, you know, in the preferred area. And there's a whole line of people like and, and I'm like, I just want I don't care. I said, I need a gas powered car. It's going to be at least an hour and a half. Oh, my gosh. We have electric vehicles. Well, there's fully, a reason. Fully charged. Can I just exchange one that's fully there's a, charged? There's a reason you have electric vehicles. 
because other people who rent them or use them know they can't charge them. They already people already know this, right? I'm the idiot here. So I'm like, fine. I'm also preferred at thrifty and it's two o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm so it's not this midnight thing I'm dealing with. So I go down to thrifty and crazy helpful. The guy come up to me, he even knew who I was. He's like, you know, Mr. Anderson, uh, how can I help you? And I'm like, I need a gas powered car. And he calls down to the garage or the area store. Nobody's answering the phone. He's like, that's strange. Nobody's answering. So he goes down there. There's a line of people. He goes, oh, we're obviously out of cars. So they have no cars. So it's obviously busy there right now. So I'm now I'm like, I can't even rent a car from somebody else. I go back to Hertz. I take my paperwork up. I walk out into the area where they have cars. I grab a guy who's bringing them on. I said, I don't care what kind of car you have. I just want a car. Well, there's a Tesla right there. He come up. He opened up the door. He goes, oh, it's charged to 87%. Okay, I will take this car. So I left with a Tesla. I got there. I got back from Pahrump. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I, I drive with like no air conditioning. It's 110 degrees outside. I mean, I'm sweating profusely because I know I need to conserve as much. You didn't electricity. Even crack the window because it screws up the aerodynamics. I, I needed to conserve as much as I could. I'd, be, I'd like turn it on every like five minutes just to cool it a little, get a little blast of cool to cool myself down. It's only like a 50 minute drive because it's 60 miles, you know. And so anyway, I get there and get my meeting done, and I come back. I have. 12% left in the car. So, and I'm like, you know what? I, you know, I, I, I limped over to the hotel. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. Don't I, the hotels have charging? Some of them do. Okay. So next morning I get up. I obviously need to charge the car. So I go and I look on the map and the Tesla charger where I need, you know, the big one is Probably, and there's crazy construction around the link because they're getting ready for Formula One in Vegas. And I know that if I go close to that, I could sit. I've, I've sat in traffic for two hours and moved a block in that area. I mean, and I'm not going to sit there with only 12% left in the car. And by because when you run out, you're out, you're out. It's not like I can go get a gas can and put a gallon in the thing. You're just out. So, I mean, you have to get towed. I mean, what do you do here when you run out of fuel, electricity, in your EV? Call the guy with the big diesel generator on the back of his truck. But again, it just, there's probably, I just don't think, I mean, yeah, it'll charge a little bit, but it's not a lot, you know. So, anyway, so I'm looking for other solutions, and I found a solution. I go over to this particular place, and uh, um, it bird, didn't have. Bird scooters? It's like Oh, what was it called? Yeah, that's pretty much right. I love your scenario. I would have got around town a lot faster, that's for sure. So I go to this one, and again, now it's like, is it Saturday? It's Saturday. That's right. Oh, my goodness. The line is insane. And now I I can't go anywhere. I got like now 9%. I don't have a choice, right? I need to charge this car because I am almost out. So I sit there like an hour and a half, hour 45. Somebody finally pulls out. And, I mean, nobody's moved in this whole time. So I'm not the only one that has to wait forever to get to a charging station, right? But I finally get up there, and it's not a Tesla charging station. It's one of the other ones like Electrify America. And they don't have a Tesla port. Are you kidding me? 
So there is. So is this whole I charging up, industry turned into iPhones? iPhones are all going to seaport. Yes, for this reason, right? So I open up, and I know that there's an adapter in the car. I and I I open up the the little thing there. There's an adapter. I'm like, yes, there's an adapter. Doesn't fit. No. Oh. No, I'm just like, how, how is this possible? Now I'm down to nine percent. You have like a what, USB off your f- computer. What, what am I going? <laughs> what am I going to do? This hold is like six. I think there's six charging stations at this one, and I'm looking. And now I'm like going up to people, and I'm like, you know, and, and I notice now that there's no Teslas sitting there too. They're all the other like the Kias and the. See, you should have kept the Kia at this point or the Volkswagen. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so. I'm on my phone and I'm like, oh, there's a there's a charging station across the street. It's a slow one, but I don't even care anymore. I mean, if I right. have to park the car for eight hours, I'll sit at Chick-fil-A, which is right next door there, and work for a while or something, right? So I go over there and it doesn't fit. And the and then the one that would have fit, somebody had vandalized it, had cut the cord off of this thing. But I'm looking at the end and I'm like, this is the end that I need, and I can <laughs> I'm like going insane. Now I'm down to like 8%. All right, so you cut the end off of that, pull oh, it over, splice it together with the other cord that you cut that end off, and it's good to go, right? So I'm looking at... A little duct tape. I know that there is a, a for truly a Tesla charging station over by Tivoli Village, which is this Italian place. That's kind of cool. And it's like eight miles away. And I'm thinking to myself... Can I make this? Like I'm thinking, like you know, when you're at the last eight percent of like a regular battery, it's like the weakest time to have a battery because you know what I mean. I mean, you know, it can show twenty percent and it'll drain to nothing fast. The Tech Ranch Super Talk twelve seventy Tech Ranch as we explore the cutting edge of tech with Marlo and Steve. For more exclusive content, visit thetechranch.com. So, draining fast, and I'm thinking, all right, I can I can get a little. Like like when you take the gas, when you took your foot off the gas pedal, right? It will do regenerative charging. So like when you're braking, it'll actually charge the car up a little bit. So I'm thinking, all right, I can coast downhill. I can get myself a little extra power. Uh, maybe I can make this turn off the air conditioning again. Which now it's the middle of the afternoon. This seems it like a lot of work. Hot. Lots of work. Lots of things to think about. It's it's just crazy well okay so then i get there i actually make it i limp i I am at two percent i get to the tesla charging (laughs) stations they're empty i mean they're full excuse me they're full and i'm like i'm going crazy now because i only have two percent left okay and it's not like if you shut it off you can push it to the gas pump or to the charging station they weigh too much they weigh a lot so i'm looking and then i hop on my phone so i'm at Tivoli, no neutral. Suncoast is across the street, which is a um, casino, and they have a parking garage. And on my phone, or on the on the Tesla screen, excuse me, it shows that they have charging stations over there, and there's one available. I'm like, what? So I limp across the screen. A screen. I now have one percent left. I'm. I'm like. I wonder how far below one I can go before the car just shuts off. I get over there. For sure, and it actually says Tesla on the charging station. They're they're hanging off the wall. They're not these fancy little things. It's just there's like four of them in a row hung up on the wall, and I back into it, and I plug it in, 
that, I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. And I'm thinking this is like a slow charger. This is going to take forever. All I want now is just like if I can get 20% or 25% on the car, I'm going to limp back to the hotel and I'm going to just sit there till Sunday, drive it over there and tell them what to do with their electric cars. I'm serious. I am livid. How many hours now? I mean, how many hours did I just explain to you here? I've got five in on the one day, and I must have at least that much in on the second day to charge a car. And that's on the second car. Who has that time? The first car, I still wasted three or four hours trying to get that thing charged up. So I have 13, 14 hours now of time trying to charge a car up. Are you kidding me? You know, it's ridiculous. It, that, that's going to get us into something else I want to talk about here in a little bit. But so, first of all, I, I have a couple takeaways from that. One, how'd your meeting in Pahrump go? It went okay. Like I said, I kind of were look, understanding, and, but they, I kind of look like an idiot. I'm just telling yeah. you, like you're the tech guy. That's why you're on radio. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I do some TV, though, you know. But, yeah, <laughs> so but it's tech, the same, right? See, that's what happens when you put technology in place. And California, great example. I wonder how many of those legislators or the governor or the people that are putting these policies in for people drive these vehicles it's a good or, question. or in that situation because or, or they have they've they figured out a way to so they have easy access to charging right or they just don't deal with it somebody else deals or they with just it. don't deal with it somebody yeah. else has to deal yeah. with it average people they have to deal with it so when you try to jump the gun on technology and put it in and implement it before you're ready before you've got the infrastructure in you know it I, I was friends with an engineer uh, for Freightliner, and they did a bunch of studies in the Bakken oil patch shale play in, in North Dakota. And they were working on CNG and LNG as the future of the trucking industry getting away from diesel. And what they ran into, the numbers were great. They'd run them a million miles without shutting them off. The engines were as clean as they came out of the factory. All these benefits nobody would blink so who's going to put them in because you need about 700 miles between fuel stops right for the long-haul trucking industry right. nobody would blink well, it's like well should truck stops put the infrastructure in at a great expense for cng or lng tanks whichever one they were going with um or do you wait until those engines are mass produced out of a factory? Nobody would blink. So didn't happen. It just mm. didn't happen. I I think hydrogen might be along those same lines at some point too. So hydrogen right now, um I know I actually know a person who has a hydrogen car. Really? And uh does it fly? Doesn't fly okay, yet. He does like it, but it has a actually has a even more significant challenge. 
because uh, there's only four in the LA area that you can go and fuel up the car. But it's like fueling with gasoline. It's a pressurized system. It locks into place. And, like a and, propane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, remember when propane vehicles used to be big back in the 70s right, and 80s. Right, and right. We got away from them. Not yep. sure why. I guess I don't really remember that, yeah. but, but I do know about that. And, uh, but fleet yeah, vehicles. They, fleet vehicles were big yeah. on propane. And there's still propane vehicles out there. Yeah. You know, uh, some fleets run them and things, buses run them. Everywhere. A lot of people would convert. Yeah. You get a conversion kit relatively cheap yeah. to convert to propane. Yeah. It was just the biggest constraint was the tank. You had to have a large tank. Right. Right. Uh, but yeah, there's people running hydrogen uh, in LA and, and there's a couple cars, man, car manufacturers that are making some hydrogen cars right now. Um, and it's basically, I mean, a hydrogen vehicle is basically making electricity for an e. It's just an EV with a right. hydrogen, you know, uh, well, plant it, in it. It's like the locomotive on a train. Yeah, yeah. It's an electromotive. Yes, that's exactly it's right. An electric vehicle powered by diesel in yes. that case. Yeah, it's been around forever. Yeah, it's actually a very. It's efficient. It's very efficient. I mean, if the engine is only making electricity instead of powering the car and all the stuff that goes with that, you know, then it's a very efficient method. So that's why hybrids were the right path. I agree. I, they just, but the politics involved with the mandates and the subsidies and everything about anything fossil fuel is bad. You know what? Maybe the most efficient way is a combination of the two. It, it, maybe it's not all or the other. Right. Which... Anyway, going back to what I was going to lead into on the on the trucking side of things, because all right, you spent five hours per day trying to get a car charged. I'm still as I'm as you're saying that I am shaking my head and okay. I'm getting aggravated all over again. And I had this conversation with somebody in the past week, and and they didn't understand what was taking place as of January first. So California. A um, bunch of other states, they're mandating not only into the passenger vehicle space like California currently is, and you're seeing that firsthand what goes on uh, because of it in Las Vegas when you're there. They're also mandating into the trucking industry. So now you've got a, a, a semi is going to travel cross country and you can fuel that vehicle in about 15 minutes and then travel 1200 miles with it before you have to stop and refuel it again. Right. Not dissimilar from you going to Pahrump, the electric tractors, the, yep. the semis, they are have a range of about 250 miles, and it takes six to seven hours to charge them. So the frustration you had over two days, have every day. Every day. So Imagine what, the logistics now of moving things. And the cost associated with you, the logistics. And do you do you pay the drivers while they're not driving now? I if I'm a driver, you're going you damn right you're paying me. Yeah, because you're you forced me to do this. Yeah. So Because they usually get paid by the mile, don't well, they? And, and right. And in most long haul truckers are home once a week. Or ten days. Right. Whatever the case may be. But when you have to take eight hours off every day just to fuel a vehicle, right? So you're you're working a regular work day. And no, if it takes that long and you can coordinate it with sleeping, right? And I'm sure there'll be but, some of that going on. Yeah, but 
you only get to go 250 miles. So, so that's the issue. What, what did that do to the long-haul trucking right, industry? Right. No, that's significant. And, and they can't get drivers now. It's significant. And now the cost associated with thoroughly disrupting the supply chain. So, by the way, the cost... It's one thing you haven't asked me about yet. Yeah, what it cost to charge? $0.48 cents a kilowatt hour. So what's a kilowatt hour equate to range? So it depends. I mean, when I'm driving around, it was showing that I was getting in the Kia anywhere from like two to four miles per kilowatt hour. So at four, um, that would be $0.12 cents a mile. At two which is a highway, by the way, because when you're in town, you actually do better in town because of the regenerative thing, right? You, you, you start, start up, stop, you slow down. Every time you, every time you slow down, you, you generate power. So when you're on the road going 70 miles an hour, there's none of that. So you're probably at 20 cents. Unless a deer pops up and then you got a brake check. You're probably at 20 cents a mile pretty easily with at 48 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, if you have a 30, let's all just say a 25 mile vehicle, mile per gallon vehicle, paying $4 a gallon at $5 a gallon, that's 20 cents. Without the headache. If, if a $5 the... gallon gas with a 25 mile, mile uh, per gallon vehicle, yeah, that's right, that's 20 cents a gallon. And unlimited range. Yeah, I mean, you have five minutes to fill it back up and you're on the road again. Yeah. So ten because I usually have to run and use the bathroom. Now there's there are the things like you don't have to you know change the oil and and do all of that stuff too. But there's also the thing that you're going to spend ten to twenty thousand dollars more for an equivalent vehicle that's electric over a regular vehicle. Generally, um, if it's pickups, it's even more. I that I see that the one pickup coming out is one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Typically, yeah, one hundred twenty thousand dollars for an electric. Uh, pickup. That's insane. Well, there's a reason that Ford is who's gone feet first into the EV space. They're losing money like crazy. Like $4.6 billion this year they've lost in wow. just the EV side of things. So where's the payoff? Because I, I tend to put things into terms of what's the return on investment? Where's your ROI? I don't see one with electric vehicles. Now, if if you get the little super tiny whatever clown car electric vehicle for <laughs> basically it's a skateboard with four wheels that you're going to run around town and you're sure. just commuting to work sure. back and forth, that cost is down enough to where it's not horrible. Um, to acquire that vehicle and then the, the tax credits and everything else to go. Okay. It might make sense in that space. Yep. But if you're a family of four packing up the kids for summer vacation, there is no way that pencils out. Yeah. I agree with that. And it's still, it's not an, inf in my opinion, anyway, at this point, not an environmentally friendly choice. No, it's not. So, I mean, you can make the argument that you have to go through a process before it becomes environmentally friendly. And we've been hearing that for years. And, you know, maybe eventually it gets to that point. But the, the mining of lithium and all this other stuff, I actually have, of all the electric choices, my best hope in for me is hydrogen. I think if they can figure that out, 
And because uh, you don't have as much of a battery pack in those things either. They're significantly right. less, you know, because you're charging it as you go. But then again, now you're going back to a hybrid. Yes, it's basically a hybrid. It's a hybrid. It's just using which, which is the road we were down on. GM and a bunch of other manufacturers were yep. down that hybrid road a yep. long time ago. The only one that's really stuck to it is Toyota. Toyota is stuck with the hybrid model and great vehicles. Yeah, absolutely great vehicles. Reliable. You know, there's another part that comes into mind too is, you know, when you're talking about the long haul trucking stuff and you think about all the people that drive through North Dakota, South Dakota in the winter, it's like, okay, where does the safety come in? Because if you're in inclement weather and it's cold and you're done because you don't have the range, then what? Guess what? Heat takes away the range too. Yeah. I, I've never heard anybody talk about that, and I didn't realize A little that. lesser extent, but... But, yeah, I was looking at, uh, you know, Tesla. The one thing with these electric vehicles is the data that you get. I mean, it's amazing. It shows you how, how much you're using uphill, downhill. I mean, it's got all these different stats. But there's a sweet spot. There's a sweet spot. And it also shows you how much you're losing because you're on, you know, it's too hot or too cold or whatever. So it was really interesting seeing all the data coming at us uh, from the car. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 12 Inch. Let's rejoin Marlo and Steve as they guide us through the fascinating world of technology. So Chris stepping in, joining us for a little bit now. And Chris, I wanted to get your take. Um, no, <laughs> Marlo's still a little heated from his electric vehicle. You tell you what, every time he rents one, he's going to have the same outcome over and over and over again. There's a convenience factor. And how much is your time worth if I can fill up my vehicle for five minutes at the gas station versus for the same cost versus, okay, I got to sit here and wait for five hours to get charged. Um, where's the value? I, I don't, my time is worth something. So where are you at on the whole spectrum of electric vehicles? Because Time is worth something. And I put ter- things in terms of ROI. What's the return on investment? Mm-hmm. Is is there a cost benefit for me to do something a certain way rather than what I'm currently doing? I look at that. I don't see that with electric vehicles yet. Yeah, for me, I I'm on I'm on, I'm in the electric vehicle hybrid camp for the most part. Hybrid, yeah. Um, I used to drive a Ford Escape hybrid. And then when I was with Basin Electric, we converted a escape hybrid into a plug-in hybrid. So the first 60 miles was going to be all battery. And then the gas engine kicked in. And um, I was actually able to drive that thing from Gillette, Wyoming, all the way back to Bismarck on one tank of gas. Nice. Because of the electric capability. Uh, like 450 miles, boom, I got back here, one tank of gas. As a 15-gallon tank. So um, it was doing really good. The, in the cold, the older lithium-ion batteries, they don't really uh, hold up. I know that when I drove my Ford Escape, I was consistently getting 30 to 40 miles per gallon in town, um, 25 to 30 on the highway. But in the winter, it, it dropped down to 10-something because just that severe cold just does not treat those batteries very well. Now they wrap them in, yeah. in different heater packs. That- right. Yeah, and the old the Escape Hybrid, it ran on nickel-metal hydride batteries rather than lithium-ion that the stock, the stock hybrid battery that comes with them. Um, and I can't remember exactly what the difference is or how one benefits over the other. Everyone seems to be going to lithium. Um, but as I see it, you know, one of the biggest things we talk about, we talk about electric vehicles and in terms of climate and it, using energy resources, 
is, is comes down to a mindset, I think, of, of the people. If the average person drives 30 miles a day, should they be driving their Escalade 30 miles a day and that's it? I see these as second car options. For somebody that's going to be traveling long distances or renting a vehicle, you need to have that vehicle to get around. Electric's probably not your solution. But you know, for me, I live on the other side of Bismarck, um, so I'm doing about 20 miles round trip every day. That's pretty much what I put on my car. An electric vehicle would be fine for me, just for that back and forth, back and forth. Um, but then again, I can't take that car on the highway. Um, so now you have to have a second vehicle correct. just for travel. Right. And so then you get, then you, but most everybody's going to have two vehicles or three, depending on what kind of family you are, particularly in rural areas. Um, and then you got to talk about, you know, possibility of energy storage. I think a lot of times people think, well, these I'll just plug them into my, my, um, house and then I can run the meter in reverse. <laughs> and and um, sell that power back to the company. And a lot of that uh, doesn't quite pan out either because, you know, we got wind turbines, you have solar power. Up here in North Dakota, electric rates are pennies per kilowatt hour. Um, you're looking at double digits on the coasts. I can see why people would be trying to go down that path electric-wise. Because um, ultimately... If you don't do something with the transportation sector, um, the entire burden of climate change, if there's going to be mandates down the road, falls on the power sector. And you're looking at 30% of the emissions coming off of transportation. There's a bunch coming off of cement plants. So you can't just focus it on one industry if you're going to make a mandate of that sort related to climate change, if that's the direction that this world's going to go. Um, I am a big fan of rail. I think we need high-speed rail in this country like nobody's business. Um, we have larger distances than most, most other countries. Um, but if you can get those where people are taking the train between New York and D.C. or between San Francisco and San Diego, rather than making that drive, I think it's a better idea. Um, you can't really have a high-speed rail that's very convenient to go coast to coast in the United States. Um, but I know when I lived out in DC, um, the Acela was right there, two hours to New York versus five hours in the car, um, was great. I, when I lived in Japan, um, I could go from one end of the country to the other but, uh, by rail. But they're also a very land poor country as far as for space for roads and not a lot of there's a lot of congestion and not a lot of people own cars. Um, I mean, there's a lot of cars there, but in Tokyo, you can't own a car in Tokyo unless you can prove you have a parking spot. <laughs> You're um, kidding. Yeah. So there's, when it comes to the transportation sector, I think we really need to rethink this concept of, I guess I'm just drawing a blank. There needs, to be, there needs to be an overhaul to understand that not everybody needs to um, be a single person in a car driving to work and back 30 miles a day. There's got to be a, a better way. So have, you're looking for the paradigm shift. There, right. ne there needs to be a big shift in, in mindset. Correct. We're just not there yet. We're, we're, I don't even think we're close to that yet. Mm. 
You know, going back to the hybrid thing in, in the rail, you know, you take a look at a lo- uh, train engine. That's a hybrid. Mm-hmm. You're taking a look at the different efficiencies that hybrids provide. Uh, you, your example with driving from Billings to uh, to Bismarck, one tank of gas, 15-gallon tank. Um, there's efficiencies there. Um when things get politicized and there's a political agenda put on them, you don't come up with efficiencies. You don't come up with the best way of innovation and the best way to have an outcome. Um, and I, I think that's the dangerous slippery slope we've gotten down with some of the climate change stuff because it's all or nothing. Well, yeah, but what if all of one or the other is not the best solution? It, things should be solution-based. Mm-hmm. That That's where you come up with how do you innovate? I mean, that's basically what this country's been based on is is innovation and new technology and, and building the better mousetrap. And and we've gotten away from that for political agendas rather than, well, what makes the most sense, mm-hmm. both economically and lifestyle. There's a lot of different pieces. And one of the things I always come back to with the electric vehicle stuff, given where we live up north, is the safety side of it. What happens when you don't get the range you thought you were going to get and you break down on the side of the road because you're out of fuel? Mm-hmm. You know, whatever that fuel is. Okay. If I'm driving a traditional vehicle, like go get a can of gas or, you know, hoof it over to the farmer in, in the snowstorm and they're going to go, yeah, here, borrow a can of gas and I'm can get where I'm going. With an electric vehicle, it's like, eh. Do you have a charging station in the barn? Right. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> and I think that's where it's people don't quite get the, the vast distances that we have to travel in this country. Well, and, and there, that's where the disconnect from urban areas on the coast mm-hmm. versus places like we live that are more rural. There's a huge disconnect between the two of those. And those policies and those agendas, those political agendas you put in on one coast or the other, don't necessarily work here. So when you're looking at how to manage that, you got to take the politics out of it. If you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. Chances are you could put together a travel guide for a destination you've never been to. After all, almost any place of any importance is on the Internet, with sites that promise to tell you the 10 or 20 most fun and interesting things to do there. For years, some travelers have been planning their trips based just on people's Instagram photos. Looks good. Let's go there. But now comes something more insidious. From America's number one travel radio show, this is your Arm World Travel Minute. I'm Rudy Maxa. Artificial Intelligence. According to a spate of recent articles, Amazon.com is now flooded with fake travel books by people who don't exist. The books are superficial and not informative, just filled with general information hoovered up randomly from other websites. Worse, whoever hopes to profit from this builds the hype, posting hundreds of fake five-star reviews on Amazon. They construct fake bios presenting the authors of the books as experienced, highly praised travel experts. Not only are they not that, they aren't even real people. So ignore the hype. Stick with authors and names you know. You'll find more travel info at armworldtravel.com. Saturday, the Broncos 
conclude the preseason. Hey! At a power field at mile high. Against the Rams. Dave Logan, Rick Lewis, Susie Wardgen. And here we go. On the KOA Broncos Radio Network. Super Talk 1270 is your ticket for the action this season. The Denver Broncos play here. Super Talk 1270. Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. Here's the latest from ABC News. I'm Brian Clark. A television icon has died. Hello, here's the star of the new crisis, right? Bob Barker! Bob Barker died this morning at his California home at 99. He was months shy of his 100th birthday, and he was best known for the decades he spent hosting The Price is Right. That era began in 1972. He went on to win 15 Emmys, 12 for television hosts, staying with the show for 35 years before retiring in 2007. I want to thank you very, very much. 1998, stage 33 at Television City in Hollywood, home to The Price is Right, was renamed the Bob Barker Studio. Wait a minute. Matt Wolf, ABC News. Barker was also known for his role as an animal rights advocate. Tens of thousands expected today in Washington, D.C. to mark 60 years since Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech as part of the March on Washington. Speaking at today's event, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries said the U.S. today is at a crossroads. An existential struggle between enlightened people and extreme people. We want to move the country forward. They want to turn back the clock. We're working hard to bring people together. They're trying to tear us apart. In Boston, the city's Caribbean Carnival Parade is going ahead despite a shooting this morning that left several people hurt. Police Commissioner Michael Cox said the shooting in the Dorchester neighborhood was not related to the parade. Seems to potentially be maybe uh, two groups uh, having some type of altercation around that. Two people have been arrested. No arrests have been made so far after two women were shot sitting in the stands at a Chicago White Sox game last night. Teams says authorities have not determined if the shots were fired from inside or outside the park. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has signed a state of emergency for 33 counties ahead of an expected tropical storm. This is ABC News. Three. Super Talk 1270. Bismarck Area Weather. With your forecast, I'm Corey Hartman. For today, sunshine and a high near 76. Slight chance of a storm late tonight, otherwise partly cloudy. Little breezy, 59. And a little breezy on your Sunday with a high near 84. Lots of sunshine. Abundant sunshine for Monday, a high near 79. Tuesday, sunny and 82. There's still time for grilling. Get the perfect companion, Grandpa's Barbecue Sauce, grandpasbbqshop.com. It's 67 right now. 
Question, what will you find on all over-the-counter or OTC medicine packages to help you choose the right drug and use it safely? The answer, the drug facts label. This label lists the medicine's active ingredients and purpose, how much to take, and warnings you should know before using it. Remember, even OTC medicines you buy without a prescription can cause side effects you don't want. So follow the information listed on the drug facts label. For more information, visit fda.gov slash drug facts label. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Catch the Tech Ranch with Marlo Anderson and Steve Bakken on Super Talk 1270, Saturday afternoons, 1 till 4 on Super Talk 1270. Portions of the following program are pre recorded. Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Bakken. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. We're talking with Chris, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about connectivity, not uh, necessarily on a computer or your device, but um, in global circumstances. One of the barriers that we have, languages. Technology is really overcoming a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really amazing the way things have come in the last few years. Uh, Google Translate. You type any phrase you want and you get a fairly reasonable translation into another language um, right on the web. And those have navigated into mobile apps um, where you can get. But the problem with a lot of those is been there's a lag. So if you're trying to communicate with somebody, say you're on vacation and Mm -hmm. you're trying to communicate with somebody in a foreign country and you whip out your phone and there's a little bit of lag time. It, it, it's hard to keep things in real time. So, hey, you can ask for directions. You can, where's the nearest bathroom or mm-hmm. where's the nearest grocery store or convenience store? But there's a little bit of a lag time. You can't really have a conversation or communicate with people. Um, but there's some technology that's overcoming that. Yeah. Um, one thing I've been following is Waverly Labs has something that they call the ambassador. It's basically an over-the-ear headphone that has built-in machine learning and speech recognition that it'll in near real time translate what you're what you're listening to um and they have different use environments for it one is if you just want to listen to a a foreign language film without the subtitles on you wear this while you're watching your show um if you're at a lecture and let's say english or chinese is not your first language and you want to hear what's being said you pop this on and then you can listen to the Um, The speaker kind of reminds me a little bit of a time when I was um, going to school in Tokyo. We went to a kabuki play um, down in Tokyo and it's all in Japanese and they have this very, very dramatic stylized form of speech. Well, for 10 bucks, I bought a um, little pocket translator, um, but it wasn't real time. It was somebody had recorded all the parts of the play in English, and he's explaining what's going on to me. Um, here, I wouldn't need to, I'd have my own. Right. I'd just pop it over the ear and listen to the play. Um, and there is still a bit of a lag because you can actually have it as a conversational piece. You, like you, When you buy the kit, you get two of these. And 
you basically would give the earbuds to somebody else and then you'd have a back and forth conversation. I don't think it's something you'd walk up to a stranger on the street and use, but if you're in a kind of social setting, let's say you're traveling abroad and you are at um, a school function, if you're studying abroad, this way kind of to break the ice and you can actually have a, a conversation with somebody. There is going to be that lag as far as the machine translating it for you. Um, but it gets us into that face-to-face kind of communication and I think makes the world a little bit smaller. Um, so that's definitely something that I've really looked at as um, the direction the technology is going because the biggest thing everyone wants is the Star Trek Universal Translator. We can, <laughs> why does everybody in Star Trek speak English? It's like, well, we have this magical device that <laughs> translates everything into something you can understand. And... You know, that was a plot. Yeah, there's a lot of innovation that's come out of that show. So yeah. I'm sure it's going to pop up yeah. somewhere. And then you look at like a show like Doctor Who, where they get around the idea that everybody's speaking English by saying, well, the TARDIS translates every known language to man instantaneously and telepathically puts it into your brain. <laughs> or Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Here, put this fish in your ear. It'll automatically translate for you. Um, so... There's so many, that's an aspirational thing for folks. We want to be able to understand each other, communicate, and technology is really a good way to do that. So when you're looking at the the different technologies and where things have come from and where they're at right now and where they're going to, uh, is, is there a curve on that? Because you go back to... You know, I'm thinking back in the, the conference days, you'd have somebody with an earbud and it's sitting at a big table and it, you know, political people from different countries mm-hmm. and somebody's talks. And then that means the translator is listening and then has to speak back into uh, the ear of whoever they're there for, whatever language it is and lag time. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's gotten to be more real time. And I think that's where you can start making some more strides. Right. Um, let's say you're at the UN and I, I look back at some of the, um, well, here in North Dakota, when we were doing during COVID, when the governor was doing press conferences every day, he had a sign language interpreter right there. And sign language interpreters, interpreters are, they're amazing. They can translate what they're hearing into sign language in real time. I mean, there's might be a little bit of a lag as they're catching up, um, court stenographers, they type everything down. They have their own shorthand. At the UN, you have professional real-time translators that are talking in the earbuds of every member of the uh, assembly down on the floor in their own language. Uh, Technology is not there yet, but I think that that's the direction it's ultimately going to wind up going is uh, where you don't have to rely on a third party to understand each other. But at the same time, I think it also might be the death knell of language learning um what's what if i can suddenly understand everybody um what's the impetus for me to learn a foreign language you know how's that going to um affect global commerce is suddenly everybody starts speaking english um only i think something like only five percent of the world speaks english yeah what the yeah. spanish is the biggest language isn't yeah. it yeah and i think chinese there's if you can read and write there's multiple different yeah, languages it's up there yeah so there's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It's like you have technology to make life easier, but at the same time, speak to somebody in their own language and 
they will, I think there's a, I'm going to butcher, butcher it, but it was a quote by Nelson, Nelson Mandela. Um, speak to a man in his own language and you've spoken to his heart. Um, I think that's what he was saying. It's like, it shows that you have, you care, that you uh, understand that even though we're both humans, we have different backgrounds and different um, beliefs and values and ideas. And that's all shaped through language. You know, I, I, I could see a little bit of that too, because I remember back when, and I'm an English guy and, and the written form is a little special to me, but when the computer started to take over spell check and look at the people that can't spell now mm. because they've become reliant upon, Oh, the computer will take care of it. So where's the impetus to actually learn how to spell, um, grammar corrections, things like that. You don't worry about them anymore when you're doing the work yourself because the computer program takes care of it. Mm -hmm. So, you get out of habit of being able to do some rudimentary English language things, the, the spelling, the grammar, you know, there and there. There's a few words out there that people confuse all the time. And I think that's getting worse. Mm -hmm. But then again, it's like who gets to pick what is correct English? I'm reading a book right now um, by linguist John McWhorter. And it's like, yeah, we've got multiple varieties of English around this world. We have UK, Irish, Australian, New Zealand, um, America, even Canadian English. So there's all these different varieties of English. Who gets to pick which one's correct? Which one do you, st you tailor your grammar correction around? Um, I look at, um, there's this new commercial out with them from Arby's that their fishes are the best thing since you and all became y'all. <laughs> Don't even get me started on contractions because that's an entire different area of the English language. Um, but it's also a great point that it shows where we truncate things because I think human beings inherently are lazy. Mm -hmm. So, when you're looking at technology to take over some things that, well, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to right. learn to spell. I don't have to do the English or, you know, calculator will do all my math now. I, yeah, there's a lazy factor, but then once you buy into it's making my life simpler, then it also makes you dumber. Mm -hmm. But it's, then there's also this factor that um, languages are lazy. Um, they always take the path of least resistance. Um, there's this thing called the great vowel shift in English, where suddenly we started pronouncing vowels in an entirely different way over time. Um, in Britain, um, anything that started with the letter H, gradually the H disappears because, well, why do I need to say the H? That's why you say hello instead of hello. <laughs> I mean, the H just drops away. Um, and... You know, language evolves and it changes. And the more these technologies can understand how we actually speak as human beings, um, I think the better off we are. Uh, the passage I just read in this book was John McWhorter had gone to Germany and um, understood standard German and then went out to a pub in southern Germany. And it was like they were speaking an entirely different language. Well, I, I, I took German just because, you know, going back to the, 
the subtitles and I was a big World War II movie buff. Mm-hmm. Didn't like reading the subtitles. I want to know what they were saying. So I, I took three years of German in high school and college just so I could understand the language. I can understand a little bit of it. I can read it. I can't speak it and I can't write it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my ear will pick it up. But great example with German language is there's high German and low German. There's the very prim and proper mm-hmm. to the letter of the law rules about the German language. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, there's this other one that most people speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and German is is a good example because the Germanic language is the basis for many other languages as well. Right. You look at... Um I mean, we're getting away from technology, but let's let's just run with it. Um, Icelandic is a Germanic language, and it has not changed in hundreds and hundreds of years. They say that it's probably as close to what Old English sounded like than English is itself. Uh, just the way that the, the language is written and spoken. Um, I just technology is. I've always been a kind of a language buff, and technology is really opened up my eyes and allowed me to expand out. The Tech Ranch. Back Ranch. Let's rejoin Marlo and Steve as they guide us through the fascinating world of technology. So we're talking about different uh, energy forms and what's the best return on investment or ROI when it comes to, um, you know, efficiencies and, you know, is it a hybrid engine? Is it hybrid in diesel, hybrid in gas, hybrid in Hydrogen, that's the other question because, you know, there's a lot of different hybrid opportunities out there. It, it's kind of when you put the two things together and come up with something better than either one of them separately. Um, where's fusion on this? Because now they've actually pulled off a second fusion, um, which well, I believe it was 3.5 megajoules is what the output was from a fusion. And which is about enough to power a household iron for about an hour, but they're making some strides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, was it the, only the second time that they've uh, generated a fusion reaction that produced more energy than, than it took, it to, took to, to make it? Yeah. Because that, that was the problem in the past. They could create fusion, but there was not a net gain of, of energy. It took right. way more energy to produce that fusion reaction than mm-hmm. a lot more input than output. Yeah, I think, you know, Perfecting fusion, uh, I guess, is one le- one more step closer to the to Star Trek. Yeah, because I mean, it's clean. It, there's there's really there's no nuclear waste in the ter- sense of the old uh, fission where uranium you got all the byproducts in the decay. And I mean, fusion's supposed to be like the holy grail of en- of energy. Um, question then is: Is that where you're going to build it? Um, is that what a warp engine was? Warp engines were more fantastical than that. The, okay. the, the um, impulse drive was run, ran on a fusion, fusion. reactor. Um, but the warp engines had radiation. and The warp engines operated on a matter-antimatter and annihilation. Uh, sounded cool, though. Yeah. <laughs> you take the matter stream and the antimatter stream and inject it through a crystal of dilithium, and that regulates the explosion as the two things destroy each other, and then you power your warp engine. What's the fastest this Enterprise ever went? Oh, let's see. I remember an episode. Warp 9 point. I thought there was like a warp or 11 or. No, warp 10 is the, 
threshold. Yeah, I see. I thought it was faster now because there was a, I, I swear there was an episode when, oh, it was, uh, I forget the name of the robot. Um, um, it was the scientist that put his M-grams into the robot. That's how they destroyed it. But the robot actually increased all the efficiencies and went way beyond the structural integrity of what the Enterprise could, mm. but with the, with the engines. And it was over 10, pretty sure. That must have been the original series. Cause yeah, they, it was the original series. Yeah, because then they finally um, stated that was the old old system. Now it's the warp 10 the max. Well, yeah, but is 10 really it on the when you turn your amp up? Well, this one goes to 11. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, go, yeah. go, going back to, to fusion and, and the alternative source, I mean, there's a lot of talk about hydrogen out there right now. Um, is there an opportunity with hydrogen and in a hybrid fashion. So some vehicles, there, there's a few vehicles out there that are hydrogen vehicles and they work on that hybrid model. They're, mm-hmm. It's a, a motor producing energy or electricity from the energy produced by the hydri- hydrogen fuel. Fusion's a little different though because you, I don't see the hybrid application for that. It's just Here's your clean energy. Mm-hmm. So that makes it the holy grail, right? Right, because what you ultimately are doing is you're running a, a steam engine off of it, basically. Now, because that's how most uh, nuclear reactors work today, is that you use the heat from a nuclear reaction to heat water to run a steam turbine. Right. That's the general principle. Fusion, if theoretically you're supposed to be able to get the energy directly off of that without having to run a steam engine because um, you don't really store it's all magnetized and then there's plasma and then that's you don't want it down at all that can't be underwater to heat the water um, maybe it is going to be some sort of a, a steam solution putting it into a vehicle I don't see that I think did the military have a prototype nuclear powered aircraft at one point um, where you actually had a small nuclear reactor on an airplane, so you could theoretically could stay aloft for eons. Um, right now, the only real practical place to put those is basically in submarines and battleships. Um, I think that's well. There's a weight component when yeah. you're when you're going into the air. There's, mm-hmm. there's that stuff's heavy. Mm-hmm. It's very heavy. And then also the you know if you crash a plane, it's not just jet fuel. Yeah, <laughs> burn up and be done. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think fusion, as far as getting the power sector to a quote unquote clean level, fusion's the, the direction that things are going. Um, I think we do have a new nuclear plant going online in Georgia sometime in the next couple of years. Um, nuclear power, um, for all of its faults is still, uh, one of the cleanest fuels out there. Um, how, but then again, it gets back to this. My thoughts about they're not looking at the big picture because if you're only talking about the electrical sector, that's a fraction of where CO2 emissions are coming from. There's also it's coming from ethanol plants. It's coming from vehicles idling on the road. It's coming from cement plants. You can't just target one industry and make them take the burden of solving it for everyone else. Um, And then there's the issue of. Let's see. Nope. Strike that. I almost had a thought, but 
it, it, it left me. Marlo and I do that all the time. Um, so when you're looking at the uh, different alternative fuel sources, what else is out there? Because you know, you go back to to science fiction, and and there's always a, a magic bullet somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, do we know what is out there right now, and that's the the breadth of our knowledge, or uh, are there some things that people don't talk about that could be that magic bullet? I mean, if they're actually pulling off uh, fusion now, and, and that was a magic bullet for a long time, that was a, a mythical mm-hmm. um, unicorn for a lot of scientists for a long time. And they're like, yeah, it can't be happening. It's not going to be. It, nope, nope, nope. A lot of naysayers. Um, now they're doing it. Now, is it scalable is another question, but... They're doing it. So are there any other avenues down there that are, somebody's got hidden in a closet somewhere? Yeah, I don't know. Um, first thing that came to my mind is quantum energy. You start getting down to sub, sub, subatomic scales. Um, they've shown that uh, like they replicated like a transporter. They were able to transport a photon from one place to another. I remember this was years ago and there's this quantum entanglement you get um, where the two particles could be any number of light years across away from each other, but they both behave at precisely the same way at precisely the same time. I think Einstein called it spooky action at a distance. Um, <laughs> and he just dismissed it out of hand because that violates the principle that speed of light is the universal speed limit. Right. Um, Getting into um, the the Dune franchise, folding space. Mm, yes, um, you really want to really get down to transportation, and and the the best alternative fuel is the one where you don't have to go anywhere. You just stay where you are, and still get to your destination. It comes to you. That's right. Just uh, well, actually, the uh, uh, Doctor Strange. That that was that's kind of the same principle with uh, you know folding time and. and you can transport through without going anywhere because it kind of brings. Oh, you. you're talking to Doctor Who? Yeah, or no, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange? Yeah, they they were kind of doing some of that stuff with the metaphysical stuff. Um, interesting stuff, though. The Tech Ranch Super Talk 1270. She comes alive. Let's dive back into the conversation with Marlo and Steve, and don't forget to check out thetechranch.com for more. Well, I'm thinking you had a little fun with Chris. Well, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I had fun with Chris. Uh, sorry, I had to step away for a little bit. Well, I know. You're still a little heated about the uh, whole electric vehicle <laughs> I had experience. to step away, right? Because I didn't want people to hear that. I, I, I just don't want to lose the halo over my head because everybody thinks I'm a nice guy. Okay, from a technology perspective, though, <laughs> and you're a tech guy, it's got to be a little disappointing rather than upsetting. It is, yes. Which you know, is a great segue to where I want to go now because I thought that my experience, my two experiences now with renting EVs have been total failures. So I'm making lemonade out of lemons. So I found a list from time of the 20 most successful technology failures of all time failures <laughs> like i thought this would be fun on your face fun to just break this list down it's a couple years old uh but like granimals yeah exactly yeah. yeah good in theory didn't work so we're going to go through the top 20 tech failures of all time according to time 
And this is going to probably, you know, conjure up some some memories for some of us. Now, the question is, because I'm going to be thinking about this, how many of these have I used? Yeah, you've used a few. And then it failed because I might have gone down the wrong road and with the technology. I think failure is not a great way to view these. They were a little ahead of their time. Maybe there wasn't regulation in place or whatever. Failure in the marketplace. Eventually. Yes. Yeah. So the first one's Napster. Or number 20 on the list, I should say, is Napster. Remember Napster? I do. They really forged the way for digital music. Yeah. And then they got into a whole lot of licensing. Oh, my goodness. Legal issues. Yeah, yeah. Because what they were doing, if you remember right, so you had a CD of... The Backstreet Boys, which I know you're a big fan of. Yeah, okay. But you burn it, and then you That's right. put it on. That's correct. You, service. You would, you would, you would, uh, you would actually transcode it to an MP3 because I think and I'm, then share it way, everywhere. And then yes, but it was on your hard drive, mm-hmm. right? And because it was on your hard drive, you were supposedly allowed to illegally, I shouldn't say illegally, but legally share that to anybody that you wanted to. And that's that was their workaround with it, that they, they weren't storing it on their stuff. They were just they were just a service to allow you to share it to whoever. So you were the they one. They were the conduit. You were the one that became the person. And if I remember right, wasn't there somebody in Fargo? Yeah, I, that actually got slapped pretty hard because they had all kinds of music that they shared all over the place. People in Minnesota, I remember that. Yeah, there was a big one in huge, Duluth, Minnesota. Huge fines, yeah. tens of thousands of dollars of fines uh, coming at them from the music industry, and they were just trying to make examples of these people that you can't do this, right? Um, but anyway, Napster ultimately fails because of this, but they forever changed the way we listen to music. Well, that was the. The beginning of the digital download age really was what it was. Yeah, because I remember, you know, being music industry and in the record side of things and radio, it was like, okay, that's when I started paying attention to digital downloads and what people were downloading and what people were listening to that was not on the charts and because the charts ran two to three weeks late. And if you remember that everybody listened to the countdown shows on the weekend. Oh, yeah. And. I hate to say it, but they may not have been really accurate. There was a lot of money involved oh, yeah. with who's number one and why were. and the labels and politics. and and. But when the digital downloads came out and you started paying attention to those, it's like, wow, why is that song that has 100,000 downloads number one on the charts when that song that's got 40 million right. not Right. You know, it's like it, it kind of opened up your eyes a yeah, little bit. But did. Napster was that was the beginning of digital download for me. The other thing with Napster that a lot of people don't realize probably it was it was beginning of a wave of computer shops across the country making buco bucks because people were downloading files that they thought were the Backstreet Boys. When in fact they were viruses. viruses, and the music industry, this is this was their way to fight back. And I don't know if this was ever confirmed. And I hate to start rumors on here, but but start a rumor, Marlo. Come on, I there were a lot of rumors that the music industry was behind the viruses. rapid ascension of viruses at the time because it was the only way they could fight back. 
We're going to go with that. I, I, so, it, it makes sense. We're it gonna, does make sense, actually, that they, they, they kind of got in bed with some people who wrote some viruses. That I'll show you. So, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and I remember if our it's computer shop. too good shop, to be free and true, it probably is. It was amazing how many people came into our computer shop, and they're like, I don't know what happened to my computer. It just stopped working or blah, blah, blah. Well, tell me a little bit about what you got on your computer. And they'd list these things, and, and one of those, I'll usually end the list was Napster. And we're just like, oh, yeah. I remember that when when a lot of viruses got tagged back to Napster yep. and and in most circles people were blaming the users rather than okay it, it could have come from someplace else that somebody wanted to bring down Napster and right. There wasn't a lot of discussion about that at the time. Well, and and quite frankly, I mean and I'm not saying that I was not guilty of this too. I thought it was, I thought it was interesting and, and I would download some, I would get some music, you know, that way. I, I just didn't know any better at the time. I would never do anything like that now because I now I'm a creator and I just like, there's no way I would do that. But, uh, um, but if you didn't know what you were doing, I mean, you, you could hover over like a song and it would tell you like how big the file was, right? Well, most songs were always in that you know, three meg, four meg area. If you were downloading a file that was supposed to be a three minute song that was 18 megs, yeah, there's something nefarious going Might be on something here. Something else along yeah, with that for yeah, the ride. Exactly, exactly. And, and of course, you'd you'd go to play it, you'd double click on it. Why doesn't this one work? Well, it's a virus and you just loaded it onto your computer now. So you gave it permission. It was you. You're the one that's committing the crime. And now you're paying the consequences for it. Well, and a lot of that people really didn't realize, oh, that one just didn't work. That's exactly oh, right. It they just, just didn't work. It was it must a have file. been a corrupted file. Yeah. Like, uh, let me try to re-download exactly. it again. Exactly. But Napster did change the landscape. There's it no did. doubt about it. So. Absolutely did. Um, Blackberry. Crackberry. Number 19 on the list. I don't I don't think I call. Is it still around, though? Kind of? Sort of? Um I do not know the answer to that, I guess. I don't know if you can still use BlackBerry or not. They kind of are around. They, they, they had a re- trying to get into the phone industry a little bit. There. Right. It would, and then they kind of had a little resurgence a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I'm not sure. they were beta testing a bunch of stuff and it didn't or didn't. Yep. It, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's funny you brought up. <laughs> it's very interesting. Before the iPhone, there was the BlackBerry or Crackberry. Crackberry. That's exactly what it says in the devices. Obsessed users affectionately referred to them. Yep. People were addicted to oh, those. Oh my things. goodness! Because yep. if you take a look, what what was before that? My flip phone. Yeah. And it, you know, and they were everywhere. Research in Motion is the name of the company. I remember it's a Canadian company, and as BlackBerry was called then, uh, was then called, sold more than fifty million of the devices just in twenty eleven alone. Wow! You think about that, and that's only twelve years ago. Well, and, and if you were in business back then, you had to have one. Yeah, that's the thing. That was. The device, you had to have it. I mean, you think about that. They sold 50 million just in 2011. Um, that's insane. And that was just when smartphones were really starting to become a thing. Well, it was kind of the first commercial smartphone. Yeah. I mean, I think at that time they were starting to really compete with uh, the iPhone because it seemed, I think the iPhone came out in 2009, but it was still clumsy. And, and a lot of people still preferred their Blackberries because it was something they were com- comfortable using. For I'm an Android guy. It's yeah. still clunky to me. Yep. Yep. So, but yeah, I mean, I, did you have one? A Blackberry? Yeah. Of course. I didn't. Have I, for work. Yeah. I had one for work. Yeah. 
I never had one, so I didn't have the experience. Why? Well, so, and I had two phones back then, which okay. not many people did, but yeah. I had the work phone, or actually work device, because BlackBerry was more of a work device. Right. And then I had my regular, did I have my StarTac back then? Yeah. I, but I had two phones. I had my personal phone and my work phone. What was the device that a lot of doctors and stuff would carry that would be the beeper? The beeper, yeah. But that, Dr. Beeper. So the beeper, actually, you could text a message to it, right? Right. So you could see that you had to Very call rudi- whatever. rudimentary. Right, yeah. right. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of times you would get just the number. So by 2016, BlackBerry was selling over four, or was selling only about 4 million devices annually. And BlackBerry exists today only as a shadow of its former self. Uh, but the company devices paved the way for super-powered smartphones we carry around. So there's no doubt about it. See, I don't know if that's a failure, though. I don't, I don't think it's a failure. It's just the fact that maybe the company didn't um, transform Longevity itself. or yeah. Yeah, I mean, reinvent they, itself. Yeah, exactly. Because a lot of companies, I mean, in technology, you literally have to reinvent yourself because it's just gonna, you're, what you've created is going to be obsolete shortly. So. But is it a failure if you create something that uh, changes something see i don't i don't, I wouldn't call it a failure I, I wouldn't call either. it a favor because that, that that's i mean it's life-altering right? yeah yeah it'd be like calling the vhs a failure too i mean we all used it for 10 years well yeah and it changed the way we watch movies on to something that's else. right that's exactly right beta yeah <laughs> yeah i have a feeling on this list we're gonna see beta by the way well, I, i'm sure we yeah. will yeah so it'll be interesting but, uh, i i don't know if i would call something true a failure in the marketplace eventually but, for lack of longevity. But still, in 2011, when you're I mean, competing it changed with the, the paradigm, iPhone, you're competing with the iPhone and Android at that time, and they're smart devices already. You're still selling 50 million a year. Are you kidding yeah. me? That, in my opinion, is not a failure. I just that that's a lot of units. Oh my goodness! And I think they were like 89 dollars a piece. I'm surprised at how that they were that inexpensive. Yeah. How much was the monthly fee for it? Oh, uh, that's what you got to remember, though, it was about the data plan back then, too. Right. So data plans were expensive. Yeah. I remember everybody made their phone calls on the weekends because right. that's weekends yeah. and evenings were, <laughs> were free. free. <laughs> <laughs> the chips are extra. Yes. <laughs> the chips are free dinner extra. I guess that's right. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, next on the list, AOL. Really? Doesn't that still exist? AOL still exists, sure. Yeah, Time Time AOL, right? Isn't it Time Warner that bought them? Eventually? Yeah, I think so. Did you have AOL? No. So it's so, okay. So I have that on you. So it is uh, um. So we have uh yeah. So AOL is. You don't remember what it stands for? America Online. Oh my oh, goodness! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was the one with the digital or the little. You've, you've got, got mail. mail, yeah, right. And the, you know, it was almost like an earworm. You know, you'd hear you hear the Eek! as you'd get onto the modem that was a dial-up modem, and then your computer three minutes later would go, "You got mail." Well, you, you and know, I had this conversation about the earworm side of that, where it was like it was so exciting to oh, get. It was exciting. I got an email. Yes. Why, why would you even send? A, a regular piece of mail anymore when you can just type something in, send it, and in 30 or 40 minutes, somewhere across the world, they would receive it, right? Yeah, I might have been a little quicker so than that. What but year was that, that that came out? So AOL would probably be 1991. 
90, 91, somewhere in that neighborhood. Okay, what was the cost of a U.S. postage stamp at that time? 28 cents, 30 cents. And what's the cost of a postage stamp today? Yeah, 50 cents, 52, I don't know. Something More like that. More than they just went up. You so, know how much? And the reason I bring this up is, is so the post office says that you know, people are sending less mail, so you got to raise the prices to pay for the. Well, yeah, but the more you raise the prices, the less people use mail because I'll send an email. That's correct. Or I can send a digital greeting card and I don't have to send you a birthday card right. by the mail yeah. or an anniversary card. Or, yeah, they, they, they are pricing so themselves out of the market. They are. Yeah. I, I, I really think that. I agree. Yeah. Every time you raise it by a few more pennies, that's just it. So, but. I remember my AOL bills because you would have like you get 20 hours a month or whatever for a certain number and then it would be so much an, uh, an hour over. I had $400 a month AOL bills. Whoa. Yes. We won't, we won't, we were a geek. We won't even talk about it. And we won't even talk about my, my, my cell phone bills were about as bad because that was the same thing. I mean, you know, if you talk during the day, like you said, or whatever, it was expensive, and you walk around with this brick, you know. Had to wait for nights and evenings. You know, and now, and now I think about how those prices have just gone down to nothing. I mean, AOL was, and yet you use your phone line. So if you had call waiting, for example, you know, you were in the middle of a download of something, and, and a call came through, and it would that would that would disconnect your. Oh my goodness! Oh, drive me crazy! It would drive me crazy. Uh, but you know, there was nothing more than like more that you enjoyed, like the. <laughs> the Tech Ranch Super Talk twelve seventy. We're thrilled to have you with us as we continue exploring living with technology alongside Marlo and Steve. So we're going over the top twenty technology failures of all time according to time and 17 on the list is palm pilot oh now that was the one that was like the direct competitor of blackberry yeah i suppose um, uh, that was the one that it because i'm still not putting iphone in that group yet um or android in that group yet it was blackberry or palm pilot but palm pilot came out in 1997 Really? So it was it was a couple of years ahead of the BlackBerry. I did it didn't BlackBerry, perform well. Yeah, the first year it shows that it did a it it uh, sold a million units the first year. Um, I don't know by you know what their it's not showing me like their biggest year, um, but HP acquired them in 2010. Palm has devolved into a zombie brand continually churning out handheld devices that neither sell well nor move the ball forward. So, so they have it the brand there and uh, they just, you know, they make new things with the name on it, but it just doesn't do anything. So, but yeah, Palm Pilot's interesting. And it was clunky. It was I, clunky. I remember that one yeah. was clunky. So 16, here we go. Betamax. Aha. You knew it had to be there. Betamax was better than VHS, of course, and only marketing... Uh, and only flopped because Sony fumbled its marketing. That's about half right. I'm reading what it says in here. In truth, Betamax technolo- te- technical bona fides were, <laughs> were trifling. I'm not even sure who wrote this. And that, along with its higher price tag, made VHS the consumer no-brainer. Though its technically Im- technical impact was nominal, Betamax iconic role in the latter part of the 20th century's videotape format was laid... And the wars laid the notion 
Whatever, I'm going to stop reading it well, now. Well, beta was expensive. It was expensive. Compared to VHS. Yeah, the picture was better, but it was and expensive. Generally, um, professionals use Betamax. I mean, and there was versions of Betamax that were used in television studios. You know, the Pro and whatever. Uh, so television studios generally use Betamax, and you and I use VHS at home because it was cheap to get mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I, is, is LaserDisc on the list somewhere? Well, we'll find out, okay. won't we? Because I'm curious. Because I, and I remember because I lived through the whole Betamax versus VHS debate. Yep. And uh, both readily available um, from the product side. So, player aside, people had to make a big choice. Am I going to invest in a movie collection on VHS tape or on Betamax. Yep. And I know some people that went down the wrong road very easily. Yep. Because it was both of those technologies came out at such a time that, I mean, they were neck and neck. And it was a flip of a coin which direction it's going to go. So I, I find it rather intriguing that it was a marketing oops. Yeah. Well, HD and beta or Blu ray. Yeah. Same scenario, you know. Uh, but that was even a, a lot shorter game. But because by the time, um, it was Blu-ray that actually won out, right? I, I can't even remember now. Actually, yeah, I think so. Um, but by that time, streaming had taken off. So by the time the war was over, they were already out of business, in my opinion. So, um, let's see, fifteen on the list. Well, this is interesting since we talked about this earlier. Not not this particular thing, but about these vehicles, uh, is the GM EV1. EV1. Are you familiar with this story? No. So this is a crazy story. Um, came out in 1996 and 1999. They built 2,000 of these cars, and they gave, there was a community of people that had them. And at one point, they said, sorry, we want our cars back. Oops. So they came out and got them and crushed them. Ah. Much to the the people who had them, most of them loved their cars. They loved that they could plug the car in and it would charge up. You know, so I, why did they want to get rid of them? Well, they thought, this is interesting. The modern EV, oh, okay, I'll back up a little bit. But GM ultimately decided that electric vehicles were too niche, controversially scrapping the program and sending most EV1s to the crushers. Ooh, what's one worth right now? If uh, that's a good got, question. If you if you were able to yeah, actually, to yeah, I think they were kind of a lease program. Mm-hmm. So they, they didn't allow people to buy them because they were just wanting to try this out. So. Well, and they do that with new technology. They Sometimes do. they'll throw out a vehicle on lease and just to test it and make sure the the new drivetrains and everything are working correctly. You know, it's funny because GM's got a history of that. Uh, um, so I've got a friend of mine that used to work at the truck plant in um, in uh, Michigan, one of the truck plants, and Lansing. It was the Lansing one. And they would have different configurations of vehicles for executives, Every now and then, something would slip through the cracks. So somebody who was working for GM and then move on from an executive role, they would take the vehicle with them accidentally. And then eventually that might make it into secondary market somewhere. 
And I knew somebody that had a three-quarter ton Suburban. They got like 32 miles per gallon, 32 to 34 miles per gallon with the way the motor was set up. Hmm. And the fuel injection was set up. And this was going back a ways. This was like a, uh, it was his hunting truck. And GM reached out trying to get the vehicle back when they finally tracked it down. He's like, no. And they came to his house and, wow, nope. Like, and they were living in Minnesota. It's like, nope, not selling this vehicle. They gave him offers like crazy. It's like, but it was an executive vehicle and it was a test vehicle for GM and uh, just didn't. Didn't go down that road. He's like, nope, I'm keeping this. I, I like my 32 to 34 miles per gallon in my three-quarter ton hunting truck. You're not getting it back. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But that just kind of, it's an indicator of what is out in the public market versus, you know, what goes on behind closed doors right. at some of these places? What right. are they testing? What, yeah. what, what technology is out there? Yeah. Nuclear fission. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hydrogen. Who knows? Who yeah. knows? Right. 14 on the list is Netscape. Do you remember Netscape? I do remember Netscape. So this is interesting. It's the first internet browser, right? I mean, it was like what took over. Uh, in fact, I would say Netscape was probably the real demise of AOL. When you yeah. think about it, because you didn't have to have a service, as I put my quotation marks up anymore. Service. You could just have an internet service provider, and use Netscape on your computer, and you could get to websites. I mean, it would actually render websites and stuff. And if you don't, and I'm just going to give you a real quick thing. Websites, the Internet is actually telephony. I don't know if you knew this. Mm -hmm. So when you go to the techranch.com, right? Think of an IP address as a phone number. It's a phone number. That's exactly what it is. So, and, and, uh, a URL then just changes that phone number to like the techranch.com or whatever. So that's how it works. So Netscape was the first one that started to render those type of things. Um, won a landscape, uh, court case against Microsoft, a decision with implications that still influence the industry today. Yeah, well, Netscape won the battle. It eventually lost the browser war, but not before selling itself off to AOL for $4.2 billion. So the demise of AOL, but AOL bought, bought them out. Netscape for $4.2 million, yeah. Crazy amount. If you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. Welcome to August 26, 2023 in the National Day calendar. Today, we're honoring the progress of women's rights and celebrating our furry best friends. Imagine a time when women had no voice in political matters, a time when they couldn't even cast a vote. The journey towards women's equality has been a long and challenging one. Today, we celebrate the progress made and the pioneers who fought tirelessly for women's rights In 1920, the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution granted American women the right to vote. 
but the fight for equality didn't end there. And it continues to this day. On Women's Equality Day, let's take a moment to reflect on the strides that have been made and the work still to be done. Let's go, girls. From loyal companions to skilled service animals, dogs play a vital role in our lives. They offer unconditional love, joy, and often a wagging tail at the end of a long day. Whether it's a tiny chihuahua or a gentle giant like the Great Dane, dogs come in all shapes and sizes, each with a unique personality. The dog's name is Snoopy. That's a pretty good name. We'll keep Today it. is not just about petting your pooch. It's about recognizing the incredible bond between humans and dogs and the positive impact they have on our lives. On National Dog Day, take some time to celebrate your furry friend and maybe even consider adopting a new one from a local shelter. Due to the fact that you've retained this residence, uh, Miss Bonifante is entitled to full canine property ownership and will be enforcing said ownership right now. Huh? Tell him, Paulette. <gasps> I'm taking the dog. Any pets? No, I, because of my travel schedule, I just, I don't think it'd be fair to them. So I just don't have any. How about you? Due to my cleaning schedule, I just don't think it would be fair to me. <laughs> but I love, I love dogs. I love puppies. My daughter loves them. We just can't have them at sure. home. <laughs> I'm Latoya Johnson. I'm Marlo Anderson. Thank you for joining us as we celebrate every day on Destination Celebration. Until next time, keep celebrating. This is the Pet Minute. I'm Steve Dale. Mitral valve disease in dogs is scary. Next. Your dog loves going to the dog park and seeing his buddies. Maybe sometimes when you travel, he gets to hang out with friends at his favorite boarding facility. Social dogs like yours need more protection than most. By pairing Bordetella protection, also known as kennel cough, with immunity against canine influenza, we can help ensure these dogs stay healthy. Merck Animal Health wants you to talk with your veterinarian about pairing up for protection with vaccines for your dog for kennel cough and the canine influenza virus. Don't wait. Vaccinate. Mitral valve disease can be debilitating for your dog, says Dr. Brian Scanson. The biggest signs that we see with heart disease in dogs relate to respiratory signs, coughing or difficult breathing, but even signs like weakness, exercise intolerance, or in more severe cases, collapse or fainting events. A medication known as Vetmedin can slow the process of heart failure. Speak with your veterinarian. For the Pet Minute, I'm Steve Dale. Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. Here's the latest from ABC News. I'm Brian Clark. 60 years since his father's I Have a Dream speech, Martin Luther King III told thousands of people in Washington, D.C. Let's not give up. Let's not give in. Let's not give out. 
We must move forward to make this nation the nation that it ought to be for all of God's children. This event marking the anniversary of the March on Washington also included a speech from civil rights attorney Benjamin Crump. I declare now more than ever that we must be unapologetic defenders of black life, black liberty, and black humanity. 11-time Daytime Emmy Award winner Bob Barker has died. The 99-year-old was best known for the decades he spent hosting The Price is Right. He also hosted Truth and Consequences and was an animal activist. He once told ABC his animal lines likely his most memorable. Have your pets spayed or neutered? There's nothing I can say at this late date in my life that will ever surpass that. The controversy continues over the aftermath of Spain's Women's World Cup triumph when the president of the Soccer Association for Spain kissed one of the team's players on the lips, she says, without her consent. He's been suspended, and now 11 members of the team's coaching staff have all resigned. The Caribbean Carnival Parade in Boston going forward despite a shooting this morning near the parade route in Dorchester. Several people suffered non-life-threatening injuries. The mayor, Michelle Wu, said... A treasured community event has been disrupted by acts of violence from those who had nothing to do with the event. And a 16-year-old was killed after a shooting at a high school football game in Choctaw, Oklahoma Friday. Authorities say he was not a student at either school. Two other people were hurt. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has declared a state of emergency for 33 counties ahead of an anticipated tropical storm. Brian Clark, ABC News. Super Talk 1270, Bismarck Area Weather. With your forecast, I'm Corey Hartman. For today, sunshine and a high near 76. Slight chance of a storm late tonight, otherwise partly cloudy. Little breezy, 59. And a little breezy on your Sunday with a high near 84. Lots of sunshine. Abundant sunshine for Monday, a high near 79. Tuesday, sunny and 82. There's still time for grilling. Get the perfect companion, Grandpa's Barbecue Sauce, Grandpa's BBQShop.com. Currently 69 degrees. The next greatest generation is now. By joining the North Dakota Army National Guard, you continue to live life with your goals in mind. Whether choosing to go to school or work at your chosen profession, your service in the North Dakota Army National Guard allows you to build your future your way. The North Dakota Army National Guard allows you to serve your community and your nation while enjoying life right here at home. Live here, serve here. Join the North Dakota Army National Guard today. Conservative talk without apology. The Regular Joe Show with Joe Giganti. Weekday evenings at 9 on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 mobile app. Portions of the following program are pre recorded. Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. We are continuing the top 20 techno- technology. I'm having a hard time talking today. I should have done my exercise. 
Say sphere. Ooh, la, la, la. How much wood, 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 chuck, chuck, wood, chuck, wood, chuck, wood. I can do that. Just say, fine. Say sphere. Sphere. <laughs> yeah, me second guessing that now. You every, did. You hesitated. Every time I say sphere, I second guess it uh-huh. now. So you're going to love this. On the top 20 technology failures of all time, according to Time uh, magazine, uh, number 13, so unlucky 13, is Windows 8. Really? Oh, come on. Did you like Windows 8? I don't know if I like Windows 11. Well, okay. I'll give you that. But Windows 8 was like a dismal failure in well, Windows everybody's Windows 7 eyes. was around for so long. For so long. Everybody, everybody loved Windows everybody 7. Everybody loved Windows 7. It was like it was like the, you know, night it was, you know, this progression to Windows 7, and it was like Windows 7 was the first time it actually felt like the GUI, the graphic user they interface worked. And yeah, yeah. It was all of that, right? All the bells and whistles. Yep. But it was deplored by many for its removal of Windows' iconic start button. Windows 8 in 2012 was the biggest rethink of Microsoft's too-big-to-fail computing linchpin since Redmond first slapped a start button in Windows 95. So they took the start button out, which is what drove everybody crazy. Didn't you know? You learned how to navigate finally, right? In Windows Seven, and now they just took it away. Like, how am I supposed to find my stuff now? It's like, where's my compass? So, so yeah. So, and it didn't do well. Most people. It was just very short lived. Yeah, I mean, it went from Windows Seven and then Windows, and they, you know, eight, and then they just skipped nine. Let's just get as far away from eight as possible. So let's just go to ten. <laughs> That's what basically what happened, right? So I think I still have Windows Seven. Yeah, you do. So if you if you start if you do a fresh install of computer with Windows Seven, I think by the time it's done installing, you'll have eighteen thousand viruses on your computer. Yeah. So there are so many holes in it, and there are so many spiders on the Internet looking for people who are installing this particular operating system that it just infects it immediately. And you can't, you can't stop it. You just The only way you can run Windows 7 on anything is if it's not Internet-based, because you know, otherwise you're just going to get viruses on it. Stay offline. You can't, can't, you know. But there are, there are things, right? There are pieces of equipment that run, like on Windows 7 or whatever, and people are fine with that, and that's okay as long as you don't have to update it. And it's all good. Well, there's no support for it anymore That's either. That's so. correct. Yes. Yep. Number 12, MySpace. Oh, yes. I want to yes. go back to MySpace. I think yeah. I have an account somewhere. I should look to see if I have one yet. I bet I do. Do not ask me what the login is. Do they actually, they don't like disappear, do they? No. Oh, my goodness. I, we, should, we should have like a, a TechRanch MySpace account. Oh geez, <laughs> no, it, it's still there. <laughs> that would be so funny. Follow us on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> we we should have we should have the person that does our bumpers. You know, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and MySpace. <laughs> I think that would be hilarious. I, I just keep thinking of the Brad Paisley song. Oh, that's right. We got to we got to yeah. change those anyway. There's no Twitter anymore. Yeah, it's X. We got to go to X now. X. Follow us on Facebook. X and Instagram, I guess, is what we'll have to do. In MySpace. We have to record all those over again? Thanks, yeah. Elon. Yeah. Are you kidding me? We just got those done. Because we're not busy enough, right? Can we send Elon the bill for this? I think we should. I think we should as well. We have that everywhere. It's coffee money for him. 
I seen somebody put out a report. He makes four hundred and seventy dollars a second. Wow! So there you go. It's expensive cup of coffee. Yeah, you know. Uh, actually, I was listening to something this past weekend, and I forget what their workaround was. They stopped saying on Twitter. It was on twitter.com because that still gets you to the same place. Oh, it's just a redirect. I yeah, suppose. it's just yeah. a redirect. Yeah. But that, so everybody knows what Twitter is, not everybody knows what X right. is. It's like, and it's easier to say, and on Twitter. Well, you're just used to it. Yeah. You've, been, you've been trained for the last yeah. 10 so years. If, so if you say, follow us on twitter.com, right. gets you to the same place. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good to know. Anyway, MySpace is on the list at 12. Don't be surprised that the Tech Ranch has a page on MySpace. We should have a MySpace. I think it would be hilarious to do that. Well, this is one that I... We could bring back MySpace with just that. You and I... We could bring it back. Single-handedly or duo-handedly, however you want to say it. Brought back MySpace. Yeah. Why not? Why not? I think the music industry still uses it a little bit. A little bit. Brad Paisley does. Alta Vista is number 11 on the list. So let's see. At a time when the idea of retrieving answers to questions by typing a question into a computer seemed like magic, Alta Vista thrived. Founded in 1995, it set the stage for Google, which has become such an incremental part of how we discover information that Googling is part of our vernacular. So there you go. So was Alta Vista more the Google type web based or was it more like Clippy? Yeah, I was, I'd say Remember the Clippy? first. Yes. So I no one, Clippy. no one seems to know what, um, no one seemed to know what to do with Alta Vista, which means it ended up being neglected and was poorly managed over the years. Alta Vista bounced from original com- parent company, digital equipment, which compact bought in 1998 uh, CMGI the following year bought it, and then Overture in 2003, a company that Yahoo bought later that year. Yahoo officially killed Alta Vista 10 years later in 2013, and Google continues to dominate the Internet search landscape. So it's funny that Yahoo ended up with it because Google pretty much killed them too. Right. So Because Yahoo, Yahoo at one time was the more preferred uh, search yeah, and was more prevalent than Google. It's hard so, to believe that. It's hard to believe that actually. And Google comes along, and I'd say I don't think it even took two years. And you, 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 Yahoo was a distant memory. Yahoo, serious. You know what? I think the demise of Yahoo was that That's movie. Right. Which one? With Yahoo, serious. Oh, probably. Yeah. Nobody could take it serious anymore. No. Yeah. Um, you know the. It's funny that Compaq had it for a while because I had a Compaq computer at one point. That was horrible. Just not a good computer. So this is interesting, the next one. And remember that this list that we're using is actually a couple years old. So 10 on the list is Google Glass. Oh, really? I think they, they were a little... deemed that a favor? or A, a fa- failure. Yeah, you're, I'm, yeah, I'm you're rubbing off now. Yeah. If, How would... Failure. It is interesting, right? Because... There is no doubt that, that that eyewear is a futuristic thing 
and it's not fully developed yet, and they deem it a failure because Google Glass is you know more prevalent now than ever. But probably. a couple of years ago, they didn't know what to do with it either. Yeah, it was like, is this taking over heads-up display? Is it you know because the technology from a military application was huge. But how do you market that to the public? Where, where's the space that you're going to go make profit off of it? The and, only, and they hadn't navigated that yet. The only thing I've ever done in my entire life that got Google's attention, well, maybe not the only thing, but uh, on, at least on social media-wise, right? I, a couple of years ago, on the Tech Ranch, had stated that Google Glass is dead. And I actually wrote uh, part of the post for that show. The postmortem? Was the, oh, <laughs> that hurt. look at that, was was the fact that, and it, it went out as the headline or the subject line for the post, and of course that showed up in Twitter, and Oops. I don't think even 20 minutes went by, and there was a, there was a um, comment underneath there that Google Glass is not dead, and it was from Google. They had actually seen that and came in and said that it is not dead. And I'm like, whoa, really? Google responded to that. There's huh. all kinds of stuff out there that that they get bashed for all the time, but they're interested in our little our little talk show. What? Probably some janitor that had access to the account. Maybe so. Yeah, like, <laughs> there couldn't be anybody important. But it's funny that Time had it in here too. So maybe Time read my post too. I don't know. Kind of funny, right? <laughs> yeah, Time based this off of you. Yeah, you, yeah. You brought down Google Glass. I did. We're bringing back MySpace, but you brought down Google Glass. Well, we could bring it back. We we could. Yeah. I mean, if we're being if we're being blamed for it, we should bring it back. Right? Sure, let's yeah, do that. So this next one I have never used. Uh, number nine on the list is Dreamcast. Did Ooh. you ever use it at all? No, I, I recall it, though. So it's Sega's spiral-topped candy button swan song console. was the video game powerhouse buyers didn't know they needed a half a decade too soon. So Japan, released in Japan in 1998 and North America in 1999, it combined home arcade wish fulfillment with a built-in modem for online multiplayer, uh, a console first, as well as controllers with second screens years before Nintendo's DS handhelds. But it, it didn't go anywhere. It was, mm -hmm. it was, it was five years before its time, which is interesting. It's like, this is a cool piece of technology. What do I do with it? Yep. That is actually interesting that it did not go anywhere. And you, you think about the gaming industry now and how it's actually bigger than the movie industry. It's like 4X bigger than, than the movie industry is, which is insane when you think about that. I mean, it's like, you know, many, many, many billions of dollars a year. But the gaming industry has starts and stops. It, it, it They'll make a lot of advancement really quick. And then kind of sit back on their heels for a bit for a few years and then jump ahead again and then sit back. It's, you know, it, it's an interesting technology space because it's not, there's not a constant arc with it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Eight on the list. Never had one of these. Maybe you did the Motorola R O K R E one. The Roker E1, I would imagine. Maybe that's how it was said. R-O-K-R-E1. Apple's iPhone popularized the idea of a phone that doubles as a seemingly unlimited jukebox. 
Was it the Al Roker? Al Roker. Maybe maybe they had him actually do the advertising for the Motorola. <laughs> I don't know. That would have been interesting. Having That's one I never even heard say, of. Maybe. Yeah. The Tech Ranch. If you're getting ready for more amazing tech insights from the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. So yeah, so this number eight on the top 20 technology failures of all time, according to Time Magazine. Uh, the Motorola Roker E1, R-O-K-R E1. So what made this phone unique, so it came out in 2005, so this is before the iPhone. So I guess if you've never heard of it, it could be considered a failure. I would think you're probably, yeah, yeah. that's yeah, probably I've true. I've never heard of this. So it's the first phone. What year? 2005. So I this remember is, where I was at in 2005. So this is iPods. No, no. Um, yeah, the iPod, right? That played music, right? Or is that what goes in your ears? No, I don't. I'm such an iPhone. Well, there was a couple literate. different little digital things. Um, yeah, there was there was the i. Yeah, like the music player. What was, yeah. what the heck was that thing called? I forget. I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. I mean, there's the iPad, the iPod, but the pod is further. Your, yeah, but the pod is your earbuds, right? Yeah, because I had one. Um, or that played iTunes. Off. Yeah, I mean you could download music to it. Yeah, it was just a digital. Yeah, it was a music. It was just a digital music player. Like like and they yeah. were small. They were. They were yeah, very small. like a Sony Walkman. Yeah, almost. Well, they were actually some of them were actually smaller than that. Yeah. But yeah, but they were very similar to that. I actually had a Sony one. I forget what that was called. Oh, this is terrible. I cannot remember the name of these things now. Um, it got, and it it that device that we're talking about changed Apple. So the fact that you and I can't remember the name of it, everybody's screaming at us like right now, it's the eye. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's the first phone that came out with an iTunes, uh, Apple iTunes software built into it, which is amazing that Apple actually allowed Motorola to license its software because Apple is so about making sure that their stuff stays in their own products. Um, but it was so sluggish that the device was more or less dead on arrival as critics lamented, uh, lamented the software's sluggish performance and the phone's small storage capacity. Still, it foretold a better future, one in which our phones can summon up nearly any song on command. So so it had that. I mean, it actually kind of brought that forward, but interesting nonetheless. No comment on that at all? I'm still trying to remember what the heck those are called. <laughs> it did change. Those actually changed the fortunes of Apple. Well, yeah, uh, Apple was struggling. Like right. Crazy. And, and, and you got to remember, too. Then it too, got in the music business. Well, yeah. And because going back to the con conversation on Napster. And so there was the platform. And then you were pretty much tied to your computer at the time. And then some of these mobile digital devices that you could download music to, the, the little MP3 players, that that changed the game. Yep, yep. You know, so it was it was kind of the marriage of the two because you had the platform, but you were tied to your home computer. You're not going to take your home computer to the gym right. or to the beach. So when it got portable, that's when it made a difference. Yeah, absolutely it did. All right, I'm actually looking it up, if it gives me an answer here. Oh, you don't know what it is yet? I'm still... It's going to bug you, isn't it? Bugging me. It really is. Oh, you got to be kidding me. It's all Apple Music. Play on Apple Music. 
Oh my goodness. Give me the device name. Apple Watch? No. Wow. All right. All right we'll figure it out during the break. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so back to the list now. If I can get back there. <laughs> See, this is what happened. Technology, like, Marlo. Tell go too oh, far down to the rabbit yep, hole. I did, yep. So number seven on the list. This one surprises me, actually, is the Segway. Do you consider that a technological fail, a failure? That's the little... It's the, what you roll yeah. around on instead of walking, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, in, in their article, perhaps no gadget evokes the early turn of the century like the Segway, a personalized motorized scooter that riders control by leaning in one direction or another. Designed as a revolutionary new transportation option, Segways have largely been relegated to the realm of mall cop and tour group. So, and you do. That's all really the only place I ever see them is like at Disney World or in malls. I mean, they still, I've seen somebody riding them in parades. So that just goes to show you that they're so unique that people still look at them when you're riding them in a parade, right? Paul Blart, mall yeah, cop. Yeah. Have you ever ridden one? Yes, I have. Yeah, and they have the minis now, too. Have you seen these? And this is the thing. They keep revolutionizing these things. So now there's a mini version of the Segway that kind of straps to your legs. So there's no handle on it. It, it, it works really? kind of like a, a little bit of a hoverboard type of scenario. It takes a little more getting used to, but they're very compact. So that's interesting, right? So this next one is interesting, too. And remember, this list came out a couple of years ago. So this is like right before COVID, this list came out. And number six on the list is QR codes. And you can't tell me that QR codes have not made a resurgence. Yeah. They're everywhere now. And I'd say that Q or uh, that the pandemic well, had I, a lot I, to do with that. I I just had a meeting last week and Set up a business card. Here's my business card. It's a QR code. And the QR codes are now being used for payment systems yep. and everything else. So so it's interesting that what Time thought a couple of years ago was a technology failure has not failed. So I find that crazy interesting. But there was a time, and I remember having conversations with people uh, back in the time when this article came out, that... You know, why are you putting a QR code on this? Nobody's even using those anymore. We're way past that. You know, we're, we're, we're into object recognition and things like that, which is true. But a lot of people don't know if you give them a business card that, 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 that your photo or an Apple on your card or whatever it is actually activates your phone to do something when you scan it, right? The QR code people automatically know that you need to scan it and that's the difference in my opinion right you so, just you know it, 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 you're you're just trained yep. it's latent i mean if you're if you're going to have something that you need to have scanned on your card and you got to write the word scan me on there that that doesn't seem <laughs> to have to that ha does not have the impact right no it doesn't so, yeah so but now yeah. you don't even think about it you just boom, you don't. scan it you don't well um, i i actually with uh parking recently um, for a parking space, QR code. Yeah. You know, download the app for the parking time because you don't go to the box and get the ticket anymore and put in your credit card. It's everything's QR off the code. app. Yeah. Yeah. With the QR code. Yeah. I just, uh, even in Las Vegas, a lot of the meters there, uh, use a QR code now yeah. and then they text you 
You know, so you're actually communicating with the machine with a QR code and you put your, your, uh, phone number in there and then it reminds you, Hey, do you need another hour? Yeah, I'll take another yeah, hour. Th- well, those are kind of nice too because you get that Q, you get that text and it goes, Hey, you're about to expire. Yeah. Do you need some more time? Yeah. Yep, I do. Yeah. Thank you. I yeah. don't need the ticket. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. By the way, it is iPod. It is iPod. It is iPod. What are the things that you put in your ears then? Those are, I hear, I, I yeah, I something. Are they not? I, uh, I swear that they're called iPods. So now I am like totally confused here. Well, and actually, Sony came out with a digital player. Um, it was just another version of the Walkman. They called it the Walkman before that as well. So that's the one I had. So apparently, I was ahead of my time. On the break, I'm going out. But it did play radio, too, so I... You know, most of the staff here are Apple users, so we need to find out. Just saying. I swear that what you put in your ear is iPods, too, right? Are you... uh, Earpods. All right, I'm finding out right now. Yeah, it's driving me nuts. All right. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. Is our passion. Let's jump back into the conversation with Marlo and Steve. All right, stop screaming at us, everybody. They are AirPods. AirPods. I don't have them because... Well, both you and I are both Android users. Yeah. So... But they still connect the same way. See, I can't do those because... I don't like them either. I'll stick them in my ear and they they don't stay. They don't... I wonder... I like the 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 sport version with the the over-the-ear and that'll keep things in my ears. I don't know if it's... People who are in radio in general, but I see almost nobody in that's actually in the profession of broadcasting that uses in ear anything. No, it's well, almost, unless well, that's more of the TV stuff, an earpiece. But that's that's, an, that's an earpiece. Yeah, but those actually, if you, you know, and you know how this works. A lot of people don't realize this, but that earpiece a lot of times, or almost all the time, is connected to a cell phone. Yeah, and somebody's just telling you, hey, so there's get an your ear, mark. earpiece in, in your ear, and there's a cell phone that's connected to the back of your pants, you know, like in the belt area or whatever that's just there. And uh, you dial a number up, clip it to the back, and, and you have this earpiece that's, that they're talking you to uh, because it's actually the best way to communicate that way. You know, like if you're on a football field talking to the booth or whatever. Um, I just see that all the time, and I and especially usually it's a producer. It's like Marla, you're rambling. That's correct. Yeah, just like right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've Steve, done a lot of. Up. I've done a lot of remotes in in television stations, and that's how they do that. There, you know, I'm I'll be talking to somebody in in New York, you know, out of Bismarck, North Dakota, and it's always a producer. And they're just talking to you. All right, you got, you know, you know, we want you to say or ask, they'll ask this question or, uh, and then you answer it. And yeah, it works pretty cool. Well, you see that a lot on TV. So somebody who's doing an interview, yeah, be talking to somebody and somebody will either be fact checking or they'll be, you know, ask part two of this question right. or, you know, trying to help with, you know, they're, they're there to support the interview that's process. Correct. That's correct. That's what it's there. Remember back in the day when they were wired? No. Yeah. They, this is before my time. Well, I that guess. used to be wired. So the earpiece and everything that was would wired. Make sense. Yeah. And the microphones were wired. And so that would all go back to like a control room. Right. And, and wow. so in the controlled setting, it went back to the control room in, uh, 
uh, like on the sidelines, you'd always have somebody that was there just to carry the wires. Amazing. They would drag the wires around, make sure people didn't trip on them, unplug them. So the sideline reporter yep. always had you had the wire. In fact, it used to be that way with like the coach with the headphones yeah. on. Yeah, that was all wired at one I point. I suppose, I guess I never really thought about it since I've gotten into radio and a little television. I mean, everything is wireless now. You know, so I've I've never experienced that. Anytime I've been on a remote type of scenario, it's always been the earpiece in my ear with the cell phone. That's all I've ever used. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the producer is is twenty feet away from me, but they're still using a cell phone because it just is easier than stringing a bunch of wire between the two of us. I suppose. Well, it's real time. Yeah. You're not going to get tripped up on a cord. Yeah. It's it's boom done. Yeah. All right, number five on the list after that long thing. Six was QR codes, which we disagree I with. still don't. That, it's like that was game change. I remember when those first came out, and it was just, I'm like, what is that? Yeah, I, I think the, the list literally now it's is. integral. Yeah, it is. So five on the list, which I'm not going to argue with, is uh, the pebble. Familiar with this? Uh, last time I went to the beach, I found one. Okay. Apple and Samsung may have popularized, wow, the smartwatch, but Pebble led the way beforehand. So Pebble was the first, first company who did smartwatches. It was more of an athletic and, and measured physical stuff, though, wasn't it? Well, okay, so I'll just keep going here, and and this isn't probably true anymore either, but it at the time was. The original Pebble became the most funded Kickstarter product of all time, raising more than $10 million in 2012. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, and I know that there's been a couple of Kickstarters since then that have done more than that, but that's still very significant. And the company cultivated a strong developer following with hundreds of third-party apps and watch faces available. Um, but the smart watch market was too small for Pebble to for to survive for long, which is amazing. Again, probably I think five about years that. ahead of their time. Again, think about that because now, I would say the vast majority of people you run into are wearing a smart watch. I would have, if you'd have told me five years ago that I would start wearing a watch again, I would say you're full of it. I'm serious. I thought the days of watches were gone. Yeah, it was and look what I got on my hand yep. or on my wrist. And I I actually broke my smartwatch on my last trip. You broke your nano tracker? It broke. I mean, I, I got off the plane. I looked down, and I'm like, what happened to my watch face? How'd you break it on the plane? It was all circuitry. <laughs> and somehow or another, I broke the... Popped I off. I don't know. But it was actually there was actually a cord in there that severed in the whole bit. So I have no idea what I did. Uh, but, you know, but within a day, I'm out buying one because I felt naked without it. It's just crazy how you become attached to these things and how often I use it. But, uh, but Pebble was the first smartwatch and got into it probably a little too early. December 2016, Pebble announced it would sell its technology and other assets to Fitbit. Still, versions of some Pebble's okay, early ideas can be found in today's top smartwatches. So they sold off to Fitbit. Yeah, that was the connection I made because Pebble and the Fitbit. Oh, sure. Fitbit was all, hey, this is about fitness. And yep. that's, that. hey, you're a runner or yep. track this at the gym. And, and that's where, you know, because now... Pretty much every smart smartwatch does that. So yep. Fitbit kind of ushered in that. So it was Pebble, Fitbit, and then 
the explosion of smartwatches that, hey, I can text you and you don't even have to have your phone and you can just look at your wrist. And and I don't know how people do that because I can't see that small. <laughs> yep. So this one I remember well, but I bet you will have no clue what I'm talking about. Number four on the list is the daily. Do you remember this? The day, like the John Daly. D a i l y. The daily. Was that a uh, like a topical form thing or something? I. Good guess. I've heard it. I don't recall what it is. Launched with hype and hoopla during the honeymoon period following Apple's original iPad reveal, The Daily, a News Corp-backed digital first newspaper, Aha. featured flashy graphics, embedded video, and new ways for readers to interact with stories. But the e-paper required a paid subscription that was arranged through the iTunes store, and revenue was split between Apple uh or with Apple, a model that proved unsustainable. While the daily shut down after less than two years, many media outlets are still looking to mobile devices as the future, though profitability remains a largely uncracked nut, which is true. I mean, it's um, the digital age has killed off newspapers. There's just no doubt about it. And they're still trying to figure it out. Newspapers killed off newspapers. So in here's my premise. Okay. When newspapers started to figure out that there's a digital path, instead of embracing it fully and going completely down that road, they clung to the thing that was the most cost prohibitive, the printing press. Right. right. So if you jump, jump all the way in that case from a technology perspective, but you can't do both. That That's just one of those... There's no hybrid model that works. You, it's you, just you, really a challenge. Because now when you're bringing down um, the numbers of, because to operate a full printing press is expensive. But when you're cutting off a bunch of that market share, that revenue stream for that one thing and trying to push people over to the other, the digital revenue stream, now you've got, two spaces competing against each other for the same dollars. And that just doesn't work because the cost of the printing press and the space and all of that, that's what's cost prohibitive. So you can do one or the other, but you can't do both. Are there any, are there any seven day newspapers left in the country? Do you know there has to be some somewhere? New York Times, Washington Post. I don't know. I, I I assume they are. I would assume so too, but Wall Street Journal, that's five days. I, I would have never dreamed that even in the town that you and I live in that we would not have a seven day paper and we don't anymore. No. So that was just a shocker to me when that happened. And and three if you're lucky, four sometimes. And I the guess. one that amazes me is that we don't have a Sunday paper. Which is to me where the revenue is for a newspaper because Was. of all the ads that would go in there, but they stopped doing that too. So, yeah, it's interesting to see the demise of the newspaper. Yeah, when they took out the comics, that was kind of <laughs> that was the end of it. Huh? I had to read my Hagar the horrible. Yeah, that's true. But if you if you take a look at so look at the 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 input cost versus the output, 
And that's the problem with the oh, newspaper yeah, there's, industry. There's, the input there's no, costs. There's no doubt about it. And in our newspaper, in our town, look at the footprint in the building alone. Yeah, huge. And then you go inside and where's everybody? Yeah. Um, and then, they, had, they had a huge dedicated room just to the press. Yeah, just, press. just the bullpen. Yeah. And gone. I remember when they remodeled or when they moved to the building that they're in and they brought the new press in on a rail car. Yeah. That's just how that's big it is. Why there was rail lines running yeah. up to the building. Yeah. Amazing. But that's the, there's no, there's no financial solution for that because that's a cost intensive industry that you can't do both. Right. Because the print, the ink, the press itself, the labor to operate that, even though a lot of them are automated now, just, they don't, you're competing for the same dollars against yourself. Yep. It just doesn't work. Yep. Number three on the list, MapQuest. I remember MapQuest. Oh, and it's still there. You can still go to the website and do this. But I remember, like, when I go on a road trip, I'd go on MapQuest. I'd print out the maps. Print out the maps. I did that, too. All of that, you know. And and I'm such a map geek. I loved MapQuest. I did, too. And you know what? MapQuest, I don't think, ever drove anybody off a cliff. I think you're right about that. I but never thought about that. Despite that, and people jest about it, but Google Maps, that that's a thing. Not MapQuest. No. Because it was it was replicating actual maps. It was, but yeah. also construction and alternative routes and you know the what I liked on MapQuest was the time feature because you could map out with stops and I, I'm probably going to have to take a potty break here and let the dogs out yep. here and stop for food here. You could plan an entire large trip pretty accurately on a time wise. I, I love the time feature on that because it factored all that stuff in. You know, you know, think about Google Maps and it takes so long to drive to point from point A to point B. I may have a little bit of a heavy foot and Google maps really doesn't compensate for that time. Right. It's like if I'm doing 80 down the interstate versus the posted speed limit of 75, it's going to get me there in 75. It doesn't correct in route either. Right. right. So if I know I got to be someplace and I'm running late and I, I, yeah. I, I miss MapQuest. I do too. I, just, I do too. I just and I, I love you know, and the fact that it, it actually, I mean, I know that uh, Google Maps would have done this too, but the fact that you could print them out and it would have like the printed instructions to turn right here and yeah. and go eighty two miles. Separate page. Oh yeah, I just I thought it was so clever how they did that. Now, you know? did you put that page with the step by step directions on the front when you stapled it together, or the back <laughs> when you stapled? I was it? always paper clipping instead. Oh so, you were pa- yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. so it was, but usually on the front, yeah. The instructions. Windy day, paperclip fails. Yeah, okay. You can, you can go with your staples. I'll stay with my paperclips. Yeah, but the one thing with MapQuest, though, big difference between printing it out in color and printing it oh, out yes. in black and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Black and white is like, oh, I missed that. Pretty dull. Yeah. 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 But the color printout is pretty good. So number two on the list... I'm going to be surprised if you've ever heard of this. It was called Virtual Boy. 
Yep, failure. Nintendo's Virtual Boy, released in 1995, was a was a physically uncomfortable mess of a game system. It wasn't even virtual, instead offering a crude tabletop version of what viewers now routinely routinely. Boy, I need to get some new glasses or something. Of what viewers now routinely experience when they pop up stereoscopic 3D glasses at the movies. I think that was more a case of marketing than anything else. And they just needed to come up with a name that sounded cool. You're probably right. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk. 12 Ranch. Let's get back to discovering the latest in technology with the guru of geek. Marlo Anderson. So Virtual Boy got the public thinking about virtual reality decades before true virtual headsets like the Oculus Rift arrived. Okay. Well, think back when it was, and it's just, okay, it sounded cool. It's something new. It's cutting edge. But I, 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 I think it was just a marketing tool. It was just, that was all it was because it wasn't virtual. It wasn't. So have you seen one of these? I saw one. I did. So not. I want you to remember what it looked like. Here you go. Oh, yeah. Yep. What kind of neck muscles did you need to have oh, to hold this thing huge. up? This thing's bigger than your head. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like. You strapped it on over your eyes. Small car on your face. It's and crazy how big this thing is. You swung around, you take out three people. <laughs> it's, wow. just, it's just huge. Yeah. Compared to an Oculus, you know. Yeah, and, well, and people know, you know, an Oculus is basically the size of goggles. Yes, yeah, you know, pretty much, yeah. And that thing was... It's huge. Yeah. That's all I can say about it. All right. We're here of the top 20 technology failures failures of all time, according to Time Magazine. All right, By the run, way, run through the list real quick. All right. So there's 20 of them. This list is from 2017, by the way. So we're actually dating some the list. Some we agree, some we don't That's agree correct. with. That's correct. So 20 on the list was Napster, 19 Blackberry. Again, we don't consider that a failure. It's just timed out, basically, right? Right. 18 AOL. Again, not a failure, just timed out. Yeah. Palm Pilot, maybe a failure, but it came out in 1997. But that was number 17 on the list. 16 Betamax. Just lost the war with VHS. 15 I think was, that's what Palm Pilot did, too. They just lost the war yeah, with, with Blackberry. Blackberry, right? Uh, the 15 is the GM EV1. So, again, this article written in 2017. That was I mean, an electric vehicle way before its time. 1996 to 1999. Yeah. And the only way you could really charge them is by plugging them into the wall. But people loved these cars. These 2,000 people that got this car did not want to give them back. There was actually a, I think it was a 60-minute special. You would have on killed this. for the ability to just plug it into the wall when you were in Vegas last oh, time, my wouldn't goodness. you? Yeah. Uh -huh. I killed. Four, 14 on the list, Netscape. 13, I would have probably ranked this higher, <laughs> Windows 8. <laughs> <laughs> Number one fail yeah. of all time. Yeah. That's, that's where that should go. 12 is MySpace. I don't know if I call that a failure. Just It was just a precursor to they, the they social lost media. The yeah, they, they lost it they to lost Facebook. They lost the word of Facebook. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, they were, what, a year, year, year and a half out yep. earlier than yep. that? Yeah. Alta Vista lost the war to Yahoo and eventually Google. You know, I mean, they were the first search engine that was out there. That was on number 11. Came out in 1995. Probably single-handedly uh, took out AOL. You know, Alta Vista, when you think about it. Number 10, Google Glass. Don't agree with that. I don't know about you. I think Google Glass is... Yeah, that's still around. 
You know, the Alta least- Vista and I got Hasta uh, <clears throat> uh, La Vista. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't get that on my head. Number nine is Son or Sega's Dreamcast, which was a game console that uh, came out in 98, Well, you 99. remember the game console wars back in the day? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. They still the have them. Sega. Really. Sega. Yeah. You know, Sega. Oh, yeah. Sega yeah. Genesis yeah. And, Sega, and Nintendo. And it, it's there, the Wii. And I mean, there were some knockdown oh, drag yeah. out. Absolutely. Atari tried to make a comeback. But they're all, it's, this, so, it's such a big money, you know. Yeah. So number eight on the list, the Motorola Roker E1, which was the first cell phone that actually offered music, playable music. I don't remember that 19, one. Excuse me, 2005. So this is a couple of years before the I, um, iPod phone came out. And it was, but it, the, iPod. I, the iPod already was. was out. This was now somebody thinking, hey, we could do something more with a phone to make phone calls and text. See, now I want to go back so, to those days. I do, too. Yeah. Seven on the list is the Segway. Six on the list is QR codes. I mean, which, come on, they did a movie off of that. You yeah. can't call it a failure when... That is true. I mean, you can call Paul Blart Model Cop a failure, but, <laughs> but they did do a movie because of the Segway. That is true. Six is QR codes, and again, this was in 2017 before the pandemic. QR codes, of course, have made a huge comeback. I, you know what? I think they exploded... In part because of the pandemic. I, 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 I try to look for things a glass half full with that whole couple but there's of years no doubt. I mean, no menus, right? So then right. you had to scan to QR get a QR code menu. on every table. Yep. Look at all the restaurants that have a tabletop. Still have them. Yep. Still, Still have them. Not going away either. Because, gee, it's a lot cheaper and I can change the menu That's a lot the big cheaper deal. than having to print out a menu. Yes. Big deal. Five is the Pebble Watch, was which was the first smartwatch eventually bought by Fitbit. I think it had just evolved. Number four is the Daily. This is the first newspaper that came out. They thought they were going to just change the world and, and share the revenue with Apple because it was an iPad uh, uh, type of thing. The revenue with, I, with Apple killed them, actually, when they had to share that. Three, MapQuest. Again, not a failure because we still use it. I'm <laughs> just saying I, I liked it. I haven't used it in a while. I look at it occasionally for directions online. See, I'll have to do that when I get home today. Number two is Virtual Boy, which was the precursor yeah. to Oculus, which which basically would, uh, I mean, it, if as, Huge an, failure. as an exercise equipment piece to build up neck muscles, yeah. perfect for that. All right. Number one on their list, and this does surprise me. Are you ready? The TiVo. TiVo? TiVo. One of the first digital record, video recorders or DVRs to come to market and a brand so successful it became a verb. TiVo to this day puts out some of the best set-top boxes on the planet. But the company is on this list because it played nice when it should have dominated. For instance, instead of suing when cable companies rolled out their own DVRs, TiVo waited to see if they could work out a deal because it was reliant on the TV providers. So because they... I guess didn't man up to the scenario. They they put them as their number one uh, failure. Okay, so going back to this entire list, then there's a financial component, a, a marketing component, a a success in the marketplace component yes. to this list. Yep. Because I my cable TV remote. It's got a little TiVo button on it. Yeah. It's TiVo's TiVo. Yeah. I mean, it didn't go anywhere, no. but from a from a commercial perspective, 
it could have done more. Yes. It could have made more. So when you're looking through this list, there is a marketplace component for success versus failure. Yep. Yep. Tilo did sue and won $1.6 billion in the lawsuits. Chump change. But considering what that many consumers think TiVo went out of business in the end, did it really win? But they did popularize DVRs. Okay, but my cable company is still using the TiVo name because it's on the remote. TiVo. So and, that, and that's the lawsuit part of it that they eventually won out. And I would imagine they get a they got a little licensing you know, deal out of that yeah. part of it now. So here's yeah. your booby prize. There you go. Congratulations. <laughs> Yay. Hey, you. you still lose. Yeah. You still lose. You're out of business, <laughs> but, uh, here's your Concy yeah, prize. That's right. Go have a nice day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, uh, you know, DVR that think of what that did to the media space, you know, from, I mean, I would prefer to watch a show. I hate commercials. Yeah. I, I would prefer to record a TV show and then go back and watch it without the commercials. I've never used a DVR. Really? Never. Oh. Not once. You can get rid of all the commercials. I never. Awesome. I just I never really watched that much TV, so it's just how it was. But yeah, this has been fun. Yeah, but today. movies, whatever it is. Yeah. It just, yeah. I just stream or watch discs, I guess, back in the day. You can watch uh, an hour show in... 35 minutes. It's great, isn't it? And that's a wrap on another fantastic episode of The Tech Ranch. Remember, if you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270.